0: I'm Dr. Future, your host. I invite you to join me as together we experience a future quake.
1: Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I'm Dr. Future.
2: And I'm Tom, big fan of the memra, bionic.
1: And even our listeners who don't know what that is. But they're going to find out this week because mm-hmm. we have one of the favorites of Future Quake, somebody who people really love out there mm-hmm. from the emails we get. This week we have Dr. Michael Heiser joining us, who's the academic editor of Logos Bible Software and also for Bible Study Magazine. And we're going to be talking about new initiatives to instruct in the incredible knowledge of ancient texts, Bible theology, and the paranormal, which is something you don't see usually put together particularly in an academic no, environment. No, But Dr. Heiser is part, along with a few other gentlemen, of mm-hmm. uh, some very interesting new efforts of instruction.
2: You know what I find most interesting about him is the fact that he takes the call for academics to serve the public interest very seriously.
1: Amen. Yeah. And that comes across. That's Thanks for setting that into people's mind to keep that in perspective, because yes. that's what, keep that in mind when you hear his comments. We need to go. Here's Michael Heiser, and we'll be back to wrap it up here at Quick. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I'm Dr. Future. And I'm Tom. No middle name today. Bionic. No middle name today. <clears throat> you, you, you're going to make our listeners feel cheated. All right, Tom,
2: trying to understand Meredith Klein's latest or last writings, Bionic.
1: <laughs> I'm How assuming this is an How insider joke with our uh, guest today. Yeah, indeed. We indeed. We have a special guest that a lot of our listeners are going to be very excited about, mm-hmm. and I, I truly believe they're going to probably be standing up and cheering when they hear. We have back with us um, our good friend, Dr. Michael Heiser, who is joining us back, uh, who's an academic editor of Logos Bible Software and Bible Study Magazine, and he's going to be talking about new initiatives to instruct in the incredible knowledge of ancient text, Bible theology, and the paranormal. Mm-hmm. And uh, Dr. Heiser, I just want to welcome you back for another visit to the Future Quake Show.
3: Well, thanks for having me back, and uh, good luck with Klein's article. There. <laughs>
2: yeah, it's a long one. I'm still making trying to make it through the uh, 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 the other one there, the whole creation thing, as
1: well.
0: Hey, so you need to I'm let Doc
1: Future up. and the rest of the Futurians <laughs> in on this internal. We hate to interrupt you too. Okay, all right, all we right. got some questions to ask. We got some grilling to to go over with with Dr. Heiser about. Um, are Are you on your commute, Dr. Heiser? No, I'm not. Okay. I thought I could hear a little hum in the background. Yeah, he's on
2: an airplane. That is
1: a fan. Okay. Well, that's good. Well, it's a little stuffy around here. I might have been a Stargate or something. You you always remember the signal you get us if you've ever been uh, hijacked or kidnapped, you know, the exercise we've gone through before. Um, For our newer listeners and for those few who may not be familiar with your work, let me summarize your credentials as follows, and you can debunk them later if you need to. Uh, you earned an M.A. in Ancient History from the University of Pennsylvania, majoring in Ancient Israel and Egyptology, an M.A. and Ph.D. in Hebrew Bible and Semitic Languages at the University of Wisconsin at Madison, and currently se- serve as the academic editor for Logos Bible Software and Bible Study Magazine. You know, it's sad I really don't see anything here in his background of interest pretty, for us in our show. Pretty but vanilla. <laughs> we, we will try to make the best do we can out of this. Uh, You're also the author of the novel The Facade, and you have several websites and blogs, such as the Naked Bible site. Uh, all of these are favorites with a lot of our future listeners. Uh, and are a frequent speaker at conferences and is a regular guest on shows like Coast to Coast AM with George Norrie. Uh, mm-hmm. This very small, Who? sort of a scaled-down version of our Who? show. Uh, That he's on regularly You know it's been about a year Almost exactly a year since you visited us And you know we don't have a whole lot of return I know it is amazing A year went by and we don't have a lot of return guests Usually due to their own choice Yeah. Uh, We plead with them they won't come back But but we do try to keep a lot of fresh blood in But you never come back quick enough But we know you have to make extra efforts In your very very busy schedule And your ministries that you do for us And we so appreciate it Um, Since it's been that long since you've been with us, can you tell us what kind of activities and issues have received your greatest attention since we last met over the last year and any other developments in your work and life uh, beyond what we'll be talking about uh, today?
3: Oh, I I think uh, probably the two most noteworthy would be uh, the blogs. I mean, I've done a lot of blogging, and the the traffic to the blogs has increased uh, quite a bit, which I'm pleasantly surprised uh, to see that. So that's been a lot of fun, and you know I don't foresee curtailing any of that in the in the near future. And I think as far as professional life, we uh, at Logos I was part of and instrumental in creating a uh, a tool for, to help people learn uh, learn how to use Greek and Hebrew better uh, in their own Bible study and ministry. So that's really absorbed my work attention, and then at, at home uh, the blogging and you know working on a couple manuscripts actually uh book book projects has taken up the other
1: okay all right um and how how is Bible study magazine going?
3: It's actually doing really well we uh we moved into the black much uh much faster than we thought we would. I mean usually there's a, sort of a predictable industry standard life cycle for these sorts of things, and it usually takes at least two years before. Um, a magazine sort of turns the corner, and we were able to do that in less than a year. So we've been real happy with it. A lot, a lot of positive response to it.
1: So then you're able to now make political campaign contributions and things with the largest yeah. <laughs> so, I don't,
3: I don't, I don't think that'll be happening anytime soon. You
1: don't support you know, a lot of Mike
2: Heiser Kingmaker
1: think tanks and public <laughs> to start interest to groups. Him Nathan the Prophet. Yeah, perhaps. It, it, P-R-O-F-I-T. Uh, but, you know, you need a good Beltway uh Institute for whatever for TV. I think that's really when ministries take a next level up. uh The only other thing I'd recommend is you probably need to have some kind of, like, big meeting in front of the Washington Monument or something like that and get some big-name people and some historians to yeah, talk thanks things. There we go. I think that'll take you to the next level, and you can... You know, win the culture back or something like that, or at least the intellectual debate back. If you could do that win that back into the church, then you would be doing something here. Uh, you know, the big news that we're going to focus on for this discussion today are your new initiatives uh, in very innovative online education. And uh, um, they involve two, two main areas uh, that we're going to talk about. First of all, why do you think the tools that are now available on the Internet – are a preferred way to accomplish the, the kind of educational and instructional goals you have in mind for these efforts?
3: I think a lot of the, the technology is, has become much easier to use. It's really that there's so many different products that now sort of do right out of the box what in former days uh, you would have really had to have some extended training on and some real you know, vocational expertise, I mean, it, you know, there's just a proliferation not only of, of things like video and, uh, you know, people doing their own, you know, podcasting and blogging and, and that sort of thing. Uh, part of the reason for that is because it's become so much easier to deliver content and really, you know, do a nice job of, of uh you know, shooting videos and capturing your screen and and all that sort of thing that is literally right out of the box. I mean, I'm not a techie, even though I work for a software company. My I'm the ancient language guy. Uh, I'm not a coder or anything like that. And a lot of the stuff I I do even now. I mean, it, it's I don't I don't hire it out. And I and I know in some ways it shows. You know that I'm I'm doing you know, <laughs> things by myself. But you know, in in other ways, it's I, I never would have thought. You know that that I would be able to do a lot of the things that I'm doing and and the only reason is because you know different companies have really packaged things so nicely and people are getting used to getting their content uh, online you know know, students just google things now You know, it's just part of the vernacular, it's part of the culture you know they don't go to a library and look in the card catalog and you know use hard copy resources it's just sort of an expectation so I thought, well, you know, I I have some technological tools here and people are used to getting information in this way, so why not try to combine those two things in in the area that I'm interested in?
1: I I hope there's hope for people like me because any of our Futurians that go to futurequake.com know I'm very primitive in my skills (laughs) or if they listen to the editing of the show, I'm more of the Luddite in our community. So, in fact, I would almost compare us to like the like the headhunters on uh, Gilligan's Island. Yeah. As far as the sophistication.
2: <laughs> Partying is the little the ball with the little paddle and the little yeah the little rubber.
1: So you right.
3: can't you can't make a radio out of coconut shells, is that what you're saying?
1: No, not been able to do that. Although Thurston Howell offers us stock certificates occasionally, <laughs> let him out of the cage. But uh, you know that's how I sort of feel. So even for 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 an old geezer like me, you think. You you have even some like like little tutorials and things to help people who who are terrified by these kind of things to actually get online and 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 sort of learn your process right yeah your software okay so you try to make it as user friendly um, obviously some things come to mind that eliminate a lot of excuses people would make to not take these kind of classes and courses one is is that it's too expensive um, you know you're taking away travel expenses you're taking away parking they don't have to get a parking pass hopefully to go to your school no (laughs) um they don't uh you know they they don't have to get babysitters they don't have to have somebody watch their kids while they go um they don't have to have all the time to in travel to go to some central site you know even across the country even around town uh, they don't have all the commuting. They can basically do it any time 24-7 virtually, uh, except for sometimes when you have communal activities. So it really disarms most of the excuses we could make not to further our education and advancement. And, you know, that's one of the good things we can say about the Internet. Uh, I'm sure you're like us. You hear a whole lot of bad stuff about how sure. it's the end of society and the end of mankind. And they're truly wicked things. I mean, there's a lot of pornography and other wicked stuff that we wouldn't know about if it wasn't so easy in reach. But, you know, man will always find a way to sin. Uh, but we have new tools that... I know we here would never have a chance to be yeah. on a radio would we be station doing radio? no way. never have not a chance years ago uh without this, so you're taking it to the next level and I to me it's a it's a forethought in the Christian community that means we might even be relevant in the twenty first century if we have more people like you leading the way um the the classes offered in your two new institutions are not accredited uh and that's on purpose I gather Uh yep. from any educational board at all that might Apply these course completions to certified degree programs anywhere. As you Great. know, I like you. Um, I'm very pro-education, and I believe people should get, uh, you know, get their ducks in a row, pay their dues, or their kind of thing. We we should raise the bar. Uh, having said that, why do you think that it's non-essential for the efforts you are undertaking, uh, and for and for what the kind of people would benefit best from the kind of product that you're offering here? Uh, why cool. why is this the best way to do it?
3: Yeah, my, my target is just really the, anybody who's, who's interested. Uh, you know, it, it's not designed to prepare anybody for vocational ministry or anything like that. Although, uh, since I, I do a lot of, a lot of that with uh, Liberty University, I'm on their distance faculty. I mean, a lot of students are used to doing that and frankly anything you learn, you know, about scripture, biblical theology, languages, you're gonna, it's gonna be useful anyway. But that isn't the target audience. It's the interested layperson, the interested non-specialist. And if, if I wanted to put that negatively, I would say that the person who feels that, you know, they, they pretty much tap uh, what they're doing at present, either just in Bible reading or what, what they get from church. I mean, they, they, they pretty much, you know, co- come to the, the upper threshold of what they're getting and, would just like to go beyond that. Uh, anyone who's interested in biblical languages or biblical theology, uh, in the case of the other institute, uh, which focuses on paranormal topics, again, we, we, we sort of want to have a somewhat controlled environment because myself and uh, Judd Burton, our other faculty person in the the institute that focuses on paranormal things, I mean, we're, we're both Christians. And, you know, we get to... You know, draw on our expertise, uh, our our training as academics, but also on our commitments, you know, to you know having a uh, framing a discussion in, in terms of Christian doctrine and, and what what Scripture can allow and that sort of thing. And we just know by experience that a lot of people are interested in that. And so, you know, we thought, well, why not try some of that too? It, you know, we just we just want anybody who really wants content and. The reason, you know, we, we're bypassing accreditation and all that sort of thing is it, it's it, it's a, a vast bureaucratic mess uh, to try to do something like that, and the, the expense is overwhelming. We just want something that's low pressure. You know, we don't have to, you know, charge lots of money for to pay, you know, bills for consulting fees and legal fees and all this other kind of stuff, and let's just keep it simple, but to make the content worthwhile.
1: Mm-hmm. So are you actually claiming that someone might get a level of depth of some of these biblical topics, say, beyond, you know, let, let's say they watch Joel Osteen uh, weekly. Would it actually be a, a yes, I, more I level make, of depth beyond that? I oh, can
3: make that claim in complete confidence, yes. <laughs>
1: okay, okay. Well, that's quite a provocative stand you've taken. So if they want a little bit, something a little bit more meaty and chewy, more like a beef stick of the gospel, (laughs) as opposed to a milk dud, uh, you can move on to to Dr. Heiser's class and his cohorts. And, uh, but you're asking people, even in as relaxed a setting, you're making it as easy and straightforward as possible, but you're asking them to take a structured, systematic approach rather than just chewing on chewing gum, like walking past uh You know, you can learn a lot about medicine, for example, going to sideshows and carnivals. Mm-hmm. And you can go to a lot of those kind of things and see a lot of interesting anatomy and medical kind of thing and marvel at it and chew your popcorn and, and watch it. But going to medis- medical school is a whole different thing. You actually go to the fundamentals of anatomy, you break it down, you have a structured approach. So then when you see something that's anomalous, you have a way to interpret it as opposed to just going to lots of carnivals and freak shows. And I'm, I'm afraid on the Internet that's probably what we have, even for a lot of well-meaning Christians. They do a lot of touring in a lot of the carnivals looking at information, but they never really have a systematic approach to understand the anatomy what's going on.
3: Right, and that, that that's true. And you, you never know, really, if the material is vetted in any way. And Right. You know, it, it really is just a hodgepodge. But, you know, we, we want to take of people, again, who are, you know, I have it right on the front of the, of the site, the, the one that, that is the, uh, the biblical material is called Memra, and people could go, you, you could just type in bibleclassroom.com and you'll wind up at the site, uh, that is probably the simplest address you know to, to draw on, or, or ancient classroom will get you there too, but just bibleclassroom.com, and the institute is known as Memra. And I have it right there in the front. You know, if you're looking for something devotional, uh, this isn't the place for you because we're, we're, we we want to take people beyond Bible reading and asking important, you know, in, in some cases important, but really super simple sort of questions about the text. We want to go beyond that uh, to to get people into real content. And I've taught on the undergraduate level for so many years that my approach to this is i I'm, I'm going to give you what i would normally give you in uh, in an undergraduate classroom if you were taking my class at college this is what i would ask you to read it may not be as many things as i would ask you to read but what i'm asking you to read i will i would actually assign and the discussion we'll have you know we would actually have and the video i would ask you to watch or the powerpoint i would would ask you to watch I would actually show these in class, you know. So I, I want I want the content to be at, at that level, but we've reduced the amount so it's not an overwhelming experience. I expect people would probably need to to take three three to five hours a week uh, on any given class to read through the material and do do some of the exercises and some of the activities that you know I would ask them to do. So. There is a commitment involved. There is a calendar, but it's not an overwhelming uh, time commitment. It's not an overwhelming experience. I'm not going to be testing anyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not going to be hanging over, over them. You know, beating them up if they get something mm-hmm. wrong or, or didn't understand what they read. Or you know, not that I do that in the classroom anyway. But you know what I mean. It's just that.
1: Mm-hmm. Is there a you know, lot? That atmosphere.
3: A- you know that that.
1: Yeah.
3: You know it, it becomes not a, a fun. Sort of experience, a learning sort of experience. It becomes, oh, I, I'm accountable for this, and and it, there, there's a fear factor there. Am I going to get an A or am I going to flunk right, out or, Right. because none of that, you know, you we're can be not, liberated from that. that.
1: Yeah. yeah, you can be liberated. Well, it, and you don't anticipate a lot of hazing amongst the students. <laughs> <laughs> you
3: know. I, I do have I do have students sign a code of conduct.
0: Okay,
1: and email okay. it
3: back to me, and basically, if you know, I, I don't want people to get Nasty and snarky in the discussion right, forums and right. things like that. So Good. if they if sign that and they can't handle that, I'll just you know, I'll just remove them you know from the online environment. Well, but I don't expect any of that to happen.
1: Well, once I get involved, I'm looking forward to starting a, a little fraternal secret society with <laughs> the fellow students, sort of like a skull and bones there for you it. There when you we'll go. have a. Tecumseh and some other people mm-hmm. yeah. show up for some memra of that. So. Maybe maybe the,
3: maybe the bones of John the Baptist or something. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Well, you know, Memra is a very interesting word because if you say that in front of the Sphinx, his paws will actually open up and you can see the Hall of Records. <laughs> if what? you say Memra, yeah, it's very interesting You have to try that. Um, I want to talk in detail about that particular class, but I want to tell our listeners, if they're not familiar with you, and many of them are, and I'm sure they probably have the same feeling about you that I do, I sort of see you in this context as being sort of like the ranger in like the uh, Lord of the Rings kind of things that are going to take a bunch of people in your class through some very scary territory intellectually and through and through uh, um, passages, theological things that are really shaking people at the foundations today. And you're going to lead them safely and give them safe passage through that and try to help them avoid or confront the ring race that come along the way. That'll jump through their computers occasionally on the internet on these kind of topics and actually show them a true path. So I think they're in for a very positive experience in what they're going to have. And Dr. Uh, Mr. Bionics giving me a raised eyebrow yeah. here on that.
2: that rolling I, eyes on that analogy. I want to talk, <laughs> it,
1: but before I get into detail about the first school here, I want to explain, I want you to explain because I think these are similar to both of the, your schools. How your system works. You told us a little bit about the hours commitment. How does your system work of classes in terms of the course length, the cost they, they should expect, how it's conducted, and, uh, you know, what what, what kind of uh, resources would you require from your students and things like that?
3: Well, there, the students can go up to the site, and again, if they go up there, just BibleClassroom.com, click on courses and registration, and the other one they, they could get to by going to paranormalclassroom.com. Same arrangement there. There's a link there for courses. The there will be a highlighting on the courses that are available uh, to be during this calendar year. There's also a link uh, for the whole uh, calendar so people can see what which of the courses that are listed are actually being offered in 2010, 2011. The term first term begins in October, October 4th. And I'm going to take registration up till the, the middle of September, and people can go up there. They can register for class. Everything's done through uh, PayPal. Classes are—I actually have to look here. It's been a while since I looked here. I think most classes are $50. Those are six-week classes, so you know, roughly $7, seven fifty a week uh, for the expense there. The only thing that's more expensive and longer are biblical language classes. I have a Greek class and a Hebrew class uh, that is 52 weeks long. It's year-round. Those are $200. It's $4 a week. Um, and I've, I've, I did that last year. That's actually how all this got started. I, I suggested on my blog, or I offered on my blog, to go through a, a Hebrew grammar and a Greek grammar with anybody who wanted to go through it with me but so that I wouldn't get a thousand people that you know wanted to do this or some ridiculous number I, I charged for it and I had I had over 50 people uh, huh. sign up uh, to do this and we've been doing it ever since we're actually coming up we're about I think well the first of October I guess is when the year ends for our, our first experiment so we're, we're closing in on a full year of dr mike going through a hebrew grammar and a greek grammar with uh, a bunch of just lay people just students hmm. i don't have any seminary students i don't have any you know ministry you know prep students because they're all either in seminary or doing something you know for credit you know for vocation but these are just ordinary people in in, in churches or you know whatever that i i want to learn greek i want to learn hebrew and so what i what i do is i at home, I go through a chapter. I have the, the grammars that we use in, in digital. People can get them that way, or they can just use the books through Amazon. Get them through Amazon, and, and I go through a chapter. I go, I explain every every portion of whatever chapter it is. I go over the vocabulary with people. I make a PowerPoint that they can use and repeat to memorize their vocabulary. And then I go through uh, a week later. Each each unit is two weeks long. Uh, within the year-long course. And mid-unit, you know, after the first week, I, I overview it and post that, and people, you know, work through the chapter themselves, look at my overview, try to work through the material. And then halfway between, I will go through the exercises, you know, the translation exercises, the grammar exercises, so that everybody not only gets the answers. The grammars have an answer key, but I want people to know why the answer is what it is, and also sort of little clues as to how they could have unpacked, you know, this particular verse or sentence in, the, in their translation. So it's me, you know, guiding people through and reinforcing the, the content of the actual grammar. So we've, we've actually done that for a whole year. So those, those are, are going to be offered again, uh, the Greek and Hebrew uh, over the course of a year. But that's the longest course that Memra has. Uh, It's naturally the most expensive because it's 52 weeks. But everything else is 6 weeks, uh, and $50. And what the student, what will happen then is when you register, you'll get a receipt from PayPal, you'll get an email from me, uh, about with the code of conduct. And then 2 weeks, when registration cuts off before October 4th, uh, 2 weeks prior to that, I will send out a syllabus There will be an address to the online classroom site itself. There will be video tutorials as to how to log in, how to change your password, you know, where your course is located. It's actually very, very simple.
1: We're back at FutureQuake with Dr. Future.
2: And Tom, LXX, question mark? Bionic.
1: Uh, I can only assume you're referring to the Septuagint. Yes. You you textual guy, you. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, that was our first segment with Dr. Heiser. Um, people may not know where this is going. This may sound very dry at first, when mm-hmm. You're just going to talk about some kind of new academic program. <sighs> yeah. But I don't think it's that way. I no. think they're going to find out some very interesting things this week. Mm-hmm. Dr. Heiser, as I've always said, could read from the phone book and make it mesmerizing.
2: Yeah, it's because he could do it in like seven languages.
1: Well, that's true, too. Uh, somebody else who will impress you is Merv, who can tell you how to contact us at
4: quake. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast.
1: We have to go. All right, let's get... Come back. We've got three more sections with Dr. Heiser. Until then, we hope your future's always bright. Have a good day.
0: Bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. Quake, 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 quake.
1: Welcome to the Future Quick Show. I'm Dr. Future. And
2: I'm Tom, not driven by fear.
1: Bionic. Based upon an offhand comment in the studio, not related at all to our guest this week, Dr. Michael Heiser, the academic editor of Logos Bible Software and Bible Study Magazine.
2: He is also not driven by fear. He said, fear no man.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of things about Dr. Heiser that people appreciate. I know a lot of you Futurians Mm -hmm. do. If you've not met him before... He has a unique role uh, as a very much a wise man in the mm-hmm. kingdom of God, and I mean that in a good way. Mm-hmm. not a wise guy, a wise man. And we're <laughs> it's talking like Benny, the wise guy right. the kingdom of God. We're talking this week about new initiatives to instruct in the credible knowledge of ancient text, Bible theology and the paranormal, a what would look like a shotgun wedding of dissimilar topics, but only Dr. Heiser can bring them together. Only on and the do them surface, in a credible way.:
2: only, only based on culture.
1: We highly recommend that you consider taking his courses. Just take a few of them, and see what happens. You won't be the same on the other side, I guarantee. But mm-hmm. if you don't believe us, listen to our next segment with Dr. Michael Heiser, and we'll be back to wrap it up
0: here at Future
3: Quake. Once you're into the into the course, then the, each course is broken down week by week. Okay, here's your required textbook, and they would know that when they register anyway, because I have a bookstore. Online, I I tell, when you you go to register, right where you click to register, there's a note about any required textbook and a link, you know, to buy that. But I would say, okay, here's your textbook. We're reading the first 50 pages. Read that first. Then here's, you know, a video I want you to watch about this, or here's another reading to supplement this. Here's a discussion forum. You you enter that with your classmates, and I will have questions posted in there, and I, I will be in Discussion boards, you know, in and out of them, interacting with, you know, what, uh, how students are responding you know, to the different questions. Uh, we will do some real-time uh, activities uh, like video conferencing or, or audio conferencing, that sort of mm-hmm. thing, maybe through Skype or something else. We still have to work out what would would probably work best uh, in that regard. But you know, there there will be you know some some interactivity to it. It won't all be. A static of course, if students have questions, they can always email me. you know I'm, I'm available there. So if something doesn't get discussed or answered in a discussion group, it'll you know be handled in that way. So it, it's it's partly you know me trying to do what I do in classes online for, again, just anybody who's interested in the topic. So, it's a little bit experimental. I have a year of it under my belt uh, in terms of the languages, so that's that will be a little further along the way uh, as far as things I will be adding to that uh, in lieu of my experience over the course of this year. Uh, but the other stuff will be more, again, me trying essentially to mimic what I would do if, if we were in a physical classroom mm-hmm. uh, in terms of the content. And your analogy... You know, as as funny as it is, you know, with with Aragorn and Ranger and all that sort of thing, there are things like that. I, 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 you know, when you get into a class like, you know, how we got the Bible, you know, there there are people who would take that that you might get people all the way up from, boy, I didn't know the Bible wasn't written originally in English. You know, all the way up to, you know, they they have a sort of some exposure and a pet theory about how this might have happened. Right. And I and I do want to take them into into some of the Some of the deeper waters and introduce them to uh, things that they wouldn't, you know, ordinarily run into. But I, you know, I it's a controlled environment. I'm I'm Uh not hostile, you know, to to the faith, and I I will I will help people process the material and process uh, good questions that they have. And this is a place to ask, you know, the. The question you've always wanted to ask, but you were afraid you you would sound heretical, or,
5: mm-hmm, right? So <laughs> you
3: weren't you weren't sure if, if church was a good place to ask this or your home Bible right. says, Uh That you know that, that's really what it's for. You know the, the blogs you know uh, cater to a lot of that, but you know this will as well. It's it, mm-hmm. this is but, the place to do it.
1: But this is structured. In this other structured, words, yeah. you have a methodical, structured process to build your knowledge base, like you would if you really want to know the truth in any field, and how much more should we know in, a, in our our spiritual beliefs, which have eternal consequence, that we get right, which should affect every aspect of our life and beyond, how much more so should we take seriously to make sure we get our ducks in a row correctly?
3: I'll, I'll tell you what, what really, I, I may have used this analogy or this illustration before, it, it's, it's not just a, a, a homespun illustration in terms of, making it up. I'm, I'm really serious about it. A lot of people don't realize that, you know, we, we, we think that, okay, I've, I've raised my my kids, you know, in, in the church, and now they're going off to college, and, you know, not all of them go to Christian colleges, and even some of the Christian colleges aren't aren't terribly, uh, aren't real careful. or are Christian real in name interested. only. Yeah, yeah they're, they're not even really interested in articulating uh, traditional positions on on certain doctrinal issues, and when your young person uh, gets thrown into that class, they're going to encounter things that that they never encountered in church. It's 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 really another hour of what they didn't tell you in church. You yeah, know, it, it, it's it, it's very easy uh, for a professor, uh, if the professor really wants to be hostile, to to frankly just destroy people. I mm-hmm. mean, I I. I look at myself and, and I, I know that, you know, I, I, know enough that I could destroy lots of people. You know, I don't have any interest in that because, you know, I, I, think I'm, I'm called by, by God, you know, to, to have the education I have and I'm, I don't have divided loyalties, you know, as far as, you know, academia is, you know, do I want to be an academic or do I want to follow Jesus? Well, the answer is yes. You know, I don't have to choose between that. You know, but, but I, I realize that, you know, there are people just like me that can't wait, you know, to get students in class and disabuse them of this or that idea.
5: Mm-hmm.
3: And you think, well, you know, my kids are safe because they they, they don't go to college, or you know, they're, they're here mm-hmm. at home, or they're married. Hey, there's this thing called the internet <laughs> right. that you know yeah. most of what's on there is is really uh, completely unfiltered in the sense that you don't have anybody that is introducing ideas, you know, into the mind of either you or, you know, somebody that you care about, they're going to introduce the idea and just let it there. They're not going to help them process it. They're not interested in saying, well, here's this issue. How would we approach this question? Let's reframe the question so that, you know, it's coherent. Uh, with respect to what what the Bible actually says, you know they're they're not interested in that. You, mm-hmm. you often get one-sided presentation. I think a Zeitgeist right away.
1: Yeah, that was that was just yeah, you know, coming to uh, mind when you're speaking. I
3: mean, <clears throat> frankly, Zeitgeist is only going to impress people who haven't been through the material. Okay, you know it it, it looks so startling and so impressive and so overwhelming when you see the, these two these two videos, like, oh, you know, boy, I'll bet nobody who claims to be a conservative Christian has ever thought about this material, and this is just so overwhelming and so Mm -hmm. devastating. Well, I'm sorry to disabuse you of that notion, but a lot of people have thought about all these issues, and scholars have been over this ground. This is nothing new. But if you don't have somebody who knows that or who knows the material and can say, hey, look, Here's a specific study over here that rebuts points A, B, and C. And, and the way that those points were even cast, the way the questions were even asked is a little deceptive, a little misleading. Here's why. Okay, unless you have a professor or somebody who can take you through the material like that and reframe it and bring, bring more data, uh, to the fore, uh, into the discussion that, that rebukes and rebuts, you know, a lot of this, this, this stuff, unless you have that, you're pretty much on your own, and you're just a sitting duck, mm-hmm. you know, for, for the, a lot of those ideas. And so, you know, me personally, I, I'm, I'm sensitive to that. Um, you know, I see a lot of stuff that comes over the History Channel, Discovery Channel. Of course, I refer to the History Channel now as the Fantasy Channel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But <laughs> um, there's a lot of stuff that, that everyday people get exposed to, uh, Newsweek time, they always roll out the who was Jesus when it comes to Easter. And, sure. You know, some revisionist, you know, Jesus seminar gobbledygook or whatever it is. Every year you can count on it. You know, adults are exposed to a lot of the things that we as academics have, you know, we've been there, done that. We've frankly been bored with it. It's been dismissed mm. by this right. or that research over but they don't. They don't have any of that context.
1: For yeah, it. two two classic ones would be the whole Da Vinci Code stuff. Oh, The yeah. ancient astronauts uh, idea. These are things that are common things in our in our vernacular that they always bring out and dust off. And like you said, you've been there and done that, right?
3: Yeah. It. it you know, I'm I'm very sensitive to it because I, I just don't want to see people manipulated. To me, introducing, uh, planting an idea. Or introducing a subject to a person that you know as a scholar. They've not come across this. And, 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 and you have these scholars that will do that just to provoke, just to destroy, just to manipulate, mm-hmm. you know, just, just to tear down. And to me, that, that's just the worst kind of thing. It's dishonest, you know, it, it's, it's just deceptive. And to me, it's just evil. You know, if you're, if you're just trying to Um, implant ideas into a student's mind for the sole purpose of turning them in a certain direction. When you know that there's two or three or four ways to look at this data and you know if you were sitting in a room full of scholars, you'd get your butt kicked or you'd at least get a healthy, you know, rebuttal, a healthy presentation Mm -hmm. of the data in a completely different way. You know that, but yet you're withholding that information From that student, why? Because you want control over them. You either want to Mm -hmm. destroy them or change what they what they believe because you don't like it, or you want them to follow you. Okay, that that to me is a sinister thing, and that's evil. Yeah. Yeah. Since since I'm in academia, that that's like that happens like every day. Okay. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's just the way it is. And when it comes to things like the Bible and things like philosophy and and the big the big picture things like worldview, okay, the the battle for the mind occurs on you know millions of fronts every day in or outside of a traditional classroom. And I, I just I just think that I, I I'm in a position where I, I ought to do something for someone uh to prevent that kind of thing from happening because My attitude going up through my education, I I, I probably have shared a little bit of my testimony before with with you guys. I deliberately wanted to go to places that were more antagonistic and more difficult at each stage, at each level of my education. left a couple schools because I I, I thought that that it it wasn't doing that for me. And I I, I wanted to, to take their best shot. Go into the, the academic lines then here, and I'm going to take your best shot, and let's see what you got. And and I know that some this, there's nothing new here. Someone has thought about this, and I'm going to look for the information. I want to be able to to see what you're giving me and then ask the question, is what I'm being given, is it possible that this is only being cast or framed one way? You know, how do I think about this? Uh, biblically, how do I think about this in light of, you know, my own, you know, certain set of presuppositions that there is a God? He is interested in people. Uh, he, he did, you know, create. You know, again, all these things, you know, that have been philosophically hashed out and have shown to be coherent and that, you know, I, am going to embrace. I'm going to proceed from that point and I'm going to take your best shot and let's, let's see what you got. And I just believed and I think it was. Just because of providence, I, I, I had this sense that God's still going to be there when the dust clears. The Bible's still going to be there when the dust clears. I, I may have to, to rethink and change the way I think about certain things, but it's still going to be what it purports to be. It, it, it just may change my path a little hmm. bit toward explaining it better or, or understanding hmm. it better. Let me and ask you: What was it, it?
1: Was it Mike when when you got to the end of that? Yeah, through your academic activities, was God still there? Maybe oh, in a yeah. little bit a surprising <laughs> form, but, but I mean... But the, let
3: me give you a good illustration of this, okay, in my own, my own thinking, where my thinking changed, but I wound up at the same place, okay? And that is this whole issue of inspiration, all right, the whole doctrine of inspiration. Now, when I was... I, I didn't have any spiritual training. I, my parents weren't believers, and I became a Christian when I was 16, and... I was, frankly, in a pretty antagonistic situation at home, and uh, you know, I I pretty much had to, to do what I was going to do spiritually on my own and and take risks, you know, even within my own family for doing that. But but you know, we did that, and I was pretty I was taught a pretty traditional, I think, fairly simplistic view of inspiration. I came out, I graduated, and went to Bible college, sort of thinking of inspiration as as a, an event, you know that. The, the, the prophet sort of got zapped one day, and and God sort of channeled information to him, and and, and he he was sort of went into an automatic writing
5: trance mm-hmm. or something
3: yeah. where where God like you know held his hand for every word and all this kind of stuff. You know, it's a view you go in with, and, and you know that the, the, that the Bible does say something about its own inspiration, its own character, its own point of origin being God, and also people. And, you know, I I went through that, but as you start to look at things in the original languages, and and eventually when I went out to grad school, too, and you get all these competing ideas about authorship and and whatnot, you know, you're you're forced to rethink things, not because Professor so-and-so says something, but it's like, look at this in the text. How how does this reflect what you were taught in your fundamentalist church? Well, the answer is that, that it doesn't, but it's in the Bible, so... I need to do something with that, because it is Scripture. I, I, I still believe that God gave it to man. And so now I view inspiration really from a more providential perspective. I view it as a process, not an event. That, that God, is beh- God was behind the lives of every one of these people who contributed to the writing of Scripture in much the way, in the way he's behind our lives, that we don't often see and know and understand in the moment. That what we're doing is something that God is going to directly and deliberately use to affect somebody else over here, uh-huh. and and God was was active training them, giving them their backgrounds, you know, the things that happened to them, molding them every step of the way, and whether they were conscious of what they were writing or not is is incidental, you know, they they produced something, and God providentially looked at that and and either approved it or brought someone else along. You know, to to add to it, to supplement it, to bring it along to what he wanted to be. I, I'm a big believer in what Scripture vaguely refers to as the school of the prophets. I think there were many hands uh, involved in the creation of, of a number of biblical books, not just the person that, that it bears their name. But I, I, I think it was a steadily there was, was a steady process that went into producing a lot of what we call the Bible, and God was in it okay and 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 he picked men, many of whom that will never know who they were, you know they, they'll never get credit you know for what they did. but God was in in the process and at one, at some point every biblical book, uh, regardless of how many layers it went through, how many you know edits it got, how many how much massaging the text took, you know wh- whatever the work that was that went into it and and you know whatever the The motivations were a lot of the stuff is there to, you know, go after deliberately other gods, you know, the foreign gods and and all sorts of things. There's a motivation. Writers had reasons for what they were doing. They were literary artists. They deliberately used this particular genre over here or this particular technique. You can see these things when you read deeply into the text, especially in the original languages. They're real. It, but that doesn't disturb me because I believe God was in the process at every step, with every person, with every hand. But I, I can no longer believe that, you know, God just sort of channeled information because it, it just there are parts of it that just doesn't work that way. But I still believe in inspiration. I still believe in inerrancy, that when, when God, when every book finished that process, and God knew when that moment was, when every book got to the end of the process, God could look at it and say, good job. Mm-hmm. That, that's what I wanted. Okay. And there's no mistakes in it. There's, there's, no, there's nothing erroneous in it that's going to mislead someone.
1: Well, that sort of compares okay. to our own life, doesn't it? The whole process of sanctification. Because it, it, God did a real it, yeah. work, an authentic work in us that is true handiwork of his. Mm-hmm. But it still has a component of it that is a work under progress. Yeah. So the work originated with him. It was genuine with him. There's also work that continues on each of us, and, and, and we are a form of the word as well. We are living epistles. Let me, let me so we shouldn't be surprised that a written epistle wouldn't have the same experience that a living epistle would.
3: E- exactly. Let me give you an example. With, within that example, all this debate and controversy over, are there two or three Isaiahs? You know, the, the mm-hmm. Deutero Isaiah, Trudeau Isaiah, and all that kind of stuff. You know, this is what you get in standard critical mm-hmm. approaches to the book of Isaiah.
1: Bizarre Isaiah.
3: Yeah. And, and, and there, there are reasons why those questions are asked. You know, I, Isaiah writes something about, uh, in Isaiah 14 that reflects, well, he even mentions Babylon, the king of Babylon. Well, if Isaiah is writing in the 8th century in the 700s, Babylon isn't even a power yet. That's not going to happen for another couple hundred years. So it's, it's anachronistic. It's out of place. It's out of chronology. Well, what do we do with that? You know, do we, do we have to say that there were two or three Isaiahs and we've sort of been hoodwinked and, and, you know, this is three different books that were sort of sewn together? I don't take that view at all. I don't take the standard critical view. I think what you had is you had Isaiah do a lot of writing and preaching and then his followers, his disciples, later in life, okay, would put the book together. I don't believe in the holy stapler. Okay, you know you have people following Isaiah around and writing. I, I think I think they did follow him around. I think they did sit with him. I, didn't, I, I think they did talk with him, and they wrote down what they heard. But you know, when the guy dies, it's like, what what happens? Hey, you know, let's bring your pile over here, and you know, you know Shlomo, bring your pile over here. And I know you were taking some notes. You know, when Isaiah would talk, mm-hmm. and let's put them all in the pile, and you shuffle them, and you get the edges nice and flush. And okay, where's the stapler? Okay, hey, that is not how the book of Isaiah came together. It's, okay, we have, we have, you know, our teachers' sermons here. We know what God told him to say, and, and either he or we were writing it down. Hey, is anybody good at making a book? Can anybody fashion this into a coherent book? Okay, you over there, you're hired. Okay, now, you know, God has a task for you. Make this readable for posterity. And even beyond that, a hundred years later, there are things in the book of Isaiah that reflect post-exilic times, you know, deliverance from exile. Isaiah wasn't alive then. And it's not worded as a prophecy. What happened? Well, I'll tell you what happened. Somebody who believed in the word of God and who believed in Yahweh, the God of Israel, and who knew Isaiah really well, knew that book really well, thought, you know what? this thing that Isaiah talked about 150 years ago it's happening right now this scripture is being fulfilled right before our eyes and so the the Jews we we know this because they have the Talmud and the Mishnah they they had this sense of ongoing revelation and we talk about that too in our circles progressive revelation it's like okay God is doing this thing right here right now I'm going to go into the book of Isaiah and I'm going to add a phrase here or there so that readers from this day forward know that Isaiah prophesied this and it came to pass in our day.
1: So that doesn't nullify later authorship of portions. doesn't nullify the prophetic the God, miracle right, that you're saying. Right. If you okay.
3: believe that God was in every process, if you believe that God motivated that guy to see that that prophecy was being fulfilled, and to record that for the believing community from there on after. If you, why is that so hard to believe? We believe that God is the creator. We can't believe that God can influence a guy to see that a prophecy is being fulfilled to make sure it gets written down. I mean, which one is the greater deed? I would say creation. Okay, as a, I mean, I can influence a guy to write something down. That's not a very tall order for God to influence somebody to write something down. You know, if you believe that God is in every step of the process, and again, it, they, all the books reached some point of completion where the where the, the the prophets, the school of the prophets, the believing community, the priesthood said, you know what, you know, we're we're at we're at at, at the end of this era, the end of, of of this canonical era, and they had a sense of of you know of a canon of of, of you know a, an era of prophetic activity where this was going on. Uh, we're, we're done with it now, and we're going to take the book of Isaiah, and now we're going to add it to all these other ones, you know, and, and we have a, a mm-hmm. full-blown, now we have the Tanakh. We don't just have right. the major prophets and the minor prophets, now we have the whole collection. There was a sense in the community when that time was reached, and I, and I believe that up until that point, you know, God is influencing and moving people, working with people who were, who, you know, scribes who were believers, you know, and, and influencing them to Put the information down, get it together, and create something for believing posterity again this isn't rocket science it's not it, it, it's miraculous because god's involved, but it 's not sort of cartoonish miraculous well
1: here's it's, here's here's the impression I have, Mike, from what you're saying in summary sure which what, what, what I hear you saying is that through your process that you went through in, in your trailblazing which which by the way, you can help through your class, other people go through the same kind of harrowing territory a lot easier, based upon your experience, is that you found the liberty to be able to unconstrain God from (laughs) artificial restraints that we normally put on Him and how He works, that that, that aren't pushed by Scripture, that aren't mandatory, aren't required, but you give Him a latitude to work in ways that often our own narrow minds, based on what we heard in Sunday school or whatever we heard, whatever, Th- through no real good verifiable reason scripture, we tie his hands on what he can do. And additional education properly done can help liberate you to see a broader view of how God can get his work done without necessarily having to threaten your commitment or your beliefs in Christ's work and what, what God's word stands about. We're back at Future Quake with Dr. Future.
2: And Tom, uh, thinking about the nature of truth.
1: Mm -hmm. You know, this interview didn't go the exact directions that I had planned. I got through about half my questions. Mm -hmm. Um, I had a lot more just ironclad details to get about the courses. But he sort of went down this path of his own testimony and Mm -hmm. his own path of learning. Mm -hmm. And I found it very fascinating. Me too. Even if I've heard bits and pieces before. Mm -hmm. But it's obviously affected how he wants to instruct other people in the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he's somewhat unique in this respect. I don't know... Anybody in academia, you know, particularly people with Christian sure. credentials, trying to do what he's doing the way he's doing it.
2: They all want to live in a white tower and interact with their inner circle.
1: You know, I have to admit, your fear comment does come back to this because he is very comfortable in his own skin. Mm-hmm. He knows who he is. He can dare to do things outside of the safety of the academic mm-hmm. white tower. Yeah,
2: the only person he yeah. answers to is Jesus,
1: and because he because he knows what he believes yep. and who he believes in. Uh, Somebody else we believe in is Murph who can tell you how to contact us at FutureQuake.
4: FutureQuake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's d-r-f-u-t-u-r-e at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast.
1: Okay, we got to wrap up here. Any... Uh, Done. Nice words? Okay, we got to go. Till then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day.
2: Yo.
0: Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake.
5: Welcome
0: to the Future Quake Show.
1: I'm Dr. Future.
2: And I'm Tom. Interesting discussion we are having this week.
1: Bionic. With an interesting person. Mm-hmm. And that person would be Dr. Michael Heiser the academic editor of Logos Bible Software and Bible Study Magazine. And we're talking about new initiatives to instruct in the credible knowledge of ancient texts, Bible theology, and the paranormal.
2: Pretty mundane. He covers crazy. the whole bit. Yep.
1: Two different institutes we've been mm-hmm. talking about. I hope you've been enjoying the rest of it this week. Mm-hmm. Not you can get the earlier shows at futurequake.com if you missed it. Uh, he took us down some paths I didn't expect uh, about... Um, the, the whole nature of learning and the nature of being critical thinkers and mm-hmm. and uh this is something I wish Christians would spend a lot more time pondering. Well you know rather there, than just there's eat really the no It's funny
2: you mention that because there's really not a place to go and really learn good good critical thinking skills.
1: Well and and he is a safe person to learn from. He's mm-hmm. not gonna lead you away from your faith. Mm-hmm. He's gonna lead you to a stronger faith but a responsible one. Yeah. And that's the best compliment I can make for him. But you judge for yourself. Here's Dr. Michael Heiser, and we'll be right back to wrap it up here at Future Quake.
3: Yeah, I I can honestly say that that I haven't come across anything that I thought was a significant threat to the idea of an existence of God, God's production of Scripture, you know, that God could become incarnate and did, you know, through Christ. I haven't come across anything that overturns any of those ideas. I mean and and I I've been widely exposed, you know, to a, a lot of this stuff, but I on the other hand, I have had the experience just as you described of saying, you know, this isn't the way I I, I would I have looked at this or I really want to look at this, but I I know because I'm looking right at something in the text. And if I believe that this is from the hand of God, I need to change the way I process this information I don't need to to wish the information away or to reject the information or whatever it is if you know God if you're telling me this is the way I did it fine okay mm-hmm. you know I, I'm, I'm not going to put God in, in in a box so that I feel better
1: and you deal with it the thing yeah. is, is that you will deal with it when it's there if people read your blog like the naked Bible or, or your other ones they obviously, you're familiar with this attribute from you. And 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 one of the nice things is when I hear you say that you've been down that road, you've been mired in, in the, the minutia of these things, and you found nothing that threatened the fundamentals of your faith when you properly gave it the latitude to breathe. I, I can take confidence in that because you are a very truthful person. If you found something that disturbed you, I believe you would be honest enough to tell us right now even yeah, if it's something that would be awkward, it would be uncomfortable for you to do, uh, but you would be honest enough to tell you. And I, I think that's something Christians, particularly in America, need to deal with, is the fact that being honest and seeking truth is not at, at an enmity with what God's will is. And we don't have to pick following God or being painfully honest. When we are painfully honest, we're on the path. To Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. So we don't need to fear or have a, a, a spirit of fear of pursuing truth even on the most difficult of things. And that's one thing I think is so critical about your course is that you are the right kind of person to take people through shark infested waters and to plot a proper course and they can make it safely on the other side with their faith intact. And they can actually be armed to take other people through shark-infested waters later or to be able to plot their way through other bayous and get through safely. And and that's what I I sense this whole class is about. And and you are going to honestly tell them when there's a snake at their foot or if there's one in the water or it's just a limb, don't be scared about it. That's all it is. It's a limb. It's harmless. They're going to learn that you know, through through this technique of what you're doing. But, But the other thing I pick up on is that it's one thing to have a lot of knowledge, to learn a lot of facts, and you can certainly dispense as many facts as people can digest. But the more critical thing is to learn a process of thinking and of critically analyzing information. Because in the day of the Internet, we have no lack of information. You can get online and find out whatever you want. But to be able to critically analyze, look at the options, and I I saw that from the first time I saw your work at the uh, 2005 Ancient of Days conference, where, where you would propose a hypothesis as something about a text and scripture, and then you would lay out all of the possible alternatives. You wouldn't just lay out your own pet theory and, and march forward from there. You would lay ones that would contradict the position that you took, and then you would test it. You would test every hypothesis against all the possible explanations and then let all the positives and negatives distill out what was the most logical and defensible course and and hopefully at least not confronted by contradictions. That is the real process that I feel like we need to learn in the church in the 21st century is to be able to methodically do that process. It takes time. It takes energy. uh, it, It doesn't allow us to jump onto our favorite pet idea that makes us feel good and run with it it forces us in the discipline of weeding out stuff that baggage we should like have let go of a long time ago uh in our belief system and it certainly we need it in the shark infested waters of the of the pop psychology and internet teaching we have today
2: I like the stapler idea better You like the stapler better <laughs> I'm going to get that stapler Get it it for my taxes. Like yeah, that's, that's what, junk. That's what my taxes are done. That's what Tom
1: has left with. You, he would probably like your uh, your uh, um, supermarket beeper of uh, oh, righteousness. the imputed righteousness. The imputed righteousness. Yeah, righteous. and, and MacArthur thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You go over the uh, yeah, yeah. the scanner. Yeah. Beep, righteous. You become righteous. a Christian,
2: and you know, you're know you this can full of unrighteousness, and then the imputed righteousness is they slap a label on you that says, the barcode, the holy barcode. Yeah. It says righteous, and it goes through the thing and says, beep. Righteous. Yeah. You get in? Yeah. I can never think of that otherwise. <laughs>
1: hey, I want to get in details. I, I know we got, got into some real fundamentals there, but, but I think it's important for our listeners, since we went down that road, for them to understand the way you approach information is as critical as the information you cover. And that's the real strength. One of the best strengths, I think, about any course that they take, it's your area, is that they are going to get an honest Review of material. For, from my experience in reviewing your work, uh, you will self-critique yourself, uh, which I think is one of your strongest points, Dr. Heiser. Uh, you will challenge your own natural inclination and not automatically accept it, nor do you try to shove it down people's throats. Uh, if there are multiple ways to interpret a passage, you will tell them that's what it is and, and what's in the favor or, or in the detriment to each of them. And this is something we need to systematically train with people. I wish you could run millions of Christians in a town through these classes. I know it's only going to be a few at a time, but but you got to start somewhere. Uh getting on to one of your specific classes, your first initiative, which is where we've really focused mo- most of our our inclination is the Online School of Ancient Studies and Biblical Theology, uh, as you mentioned at com. which I don't know many schools in America named after Ar- Aramaic words. Uh, no, if I remember right, there's not the many first and only. Yeah. Uh, or BibleClassroom.com, which people might even remember a little easier. I like
2: ancient classroom. It, I got this idea of everybody sitting at stone desks and like uh-huh. chiseling their notes. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Lots of cobwebs in the uh, corner. Yeah. yeah. Uh, please tell us what the purpose, we, we, we've we sort of gone around it, but concisely tell us the purpose and goals of this particular school, both for society at large, what you want to do to the community, and also for individual students. And, uh, maybe tell us what memoral means while you're at it.
3: Well, we'll start with the, the easy one. Memrah is the Aramaic word for word. Okay, just like logos would be the Greek word for word, uh, like in John 1 1. Memra is just the Aramaic version of that. And in, uh, Memra is, it, it it's significant because, like John 1 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word, you know, was God, and so on and so forth, the Word was made flesh in verse 14, you know, pointing to Jesus this embodied deity. Uh, Memra is also used the same way uh, in Aramaic translations uh, of the scriptures, uh, quite frequently, actually. But uh, that's what it means. So it's, Logos was taken, so I thought Memra would be a good one, <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> you know, to go to uh, call that, because... You Had know, somebody
1: taken all the Hittite words? Yeah, they were off limits?
3: Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I, I didn't want to mess with the font, you know, the translation. Okay, was, <laughs> yeah. I understand. Yeah. But, but, but is about it. I, I do want people to, again, go be, I want to be able to take them beyond where they're at, you know, just reading. Bible reading really isn't Bible study. Uh, people, you know, make that transition. They do the best they can. You know, they go, they go, go to small groups and hopefully they're getting some content there. Uh, a lot of them do go to the internet and that, you know, that's a hit or miss proposition. Right. But I, I meet people all the time that, that want to learn, uh, more Bible. And, and this is for those people, again, in, in a content-oriented, low-pressure uh, sort of way. But I do want to, you know, I guess consciously, and, and it's going to happen unconsciously as well, but I do want them to learn how to take material apart and put it back together again. I want them to learn uh, how to frame uh, discussions. I want to get them exposed to uh, material that, you wouldn't get exposed to, uh, in church. Again, you to take them beyond that, just in terms of, of exposure. Uh, I think Christians really need, we need to develop more muscular minds, you know, frankly.
2: No um, kidding.
3: We, we just, there's no reason to be afraid of truth if we believe that the, the, the source of all truth is the same, you know, being, the same, uh, God. I mean, even when we look at something in science and we're confronted with some idea in, in the scientific community well if that's actually true and you know we may or may not be able to evaluate that uh, precisely but even if we for the sake of the exercise assume that that's true we don't need to be afraid of it uh, because it we would assume that it's going to be uh, in concert with it, it's going to work uh, hand in glove it's going to dovetail with uh, the revelation given to us in, in scripture and so the, the task is not which one do I choose and which one do I reject? The task is, how can I find a, a way where these two truths fit together? And you know, we're, we're used to thinking of that in terms of science and the Bible. But if we just take the Bible, uh, there are you know things that, again, you would be introduced to or confronted with, uh, ideas about the Bible where a scholar or an archaeologist says this or that, and here... Here's this artifact, you know, fit this into, you know, your interpretation of the Bible. I mean, there there are things like that, too, that, you know, it's real. This person lived. This person made this thing. This person wrote what he wrote on it. Uh, This person, you know, was connected to ancient Israel or the cultures around ancient Israel, and the Bible mentions this person or this thing or this idea. You know, how do we process all that information? Because, again, if if you're in an antagonistic situation, what the archaeologist wants you to do is, Choose what I'm showing you or reject, you know, your understanding of the Bible. Reject your idea that the Bible is, is a divinely inspired. Idea. So it's a false
1: dichotomy. They're it's giving a false you, dichotomy. they're not giving you all the available choices.
3: Right. We really need to, to encourage people to expose themselves to ideas and then, uh, you know, just with, pra- a lot of it comes with practice. A lot of it comes with just asking the right kind of questions. Uh, really challenging not being unwilling to accept the way a discussion or a question or a debate is framed why do i have to answer that question the way you asked it why you know why must i parse this information uh, given the background given the setup that you've given to me uh Part of and, that,
1: and this is good for everything in life. not just it is, the, it is. the most important thing are theological matters. That's what matters most in our life. But political issues, any other kind of civil, social issues that come up, that same discipline needs to be applied. When we're being pushed into false choices, false dichotomy, false framework, we need to apply that skeptically in every part of our life, shouldn't we? The,
3: the, the key is that the people are, are able... Uh, to recognize that that's being done to them, even if they can't come up with with a a good response at the moment. You just know that, you know, this person is giving me this question, giving me this material, and I'm willing to bet that I probably don't have all the information that I need to have. So it would be unwise for me to accept the dichotomy given to me until I'm sure that those are the only two choices. I mean these are simple thinking processes. But a lot of times people won't do them because they they either haven't been taught to do that, they don't have any practice doing it, or they're afraid to do it because they don't they don't feel that they have sort of enough content knowledge to dip into to be able to challenge that. And you know, you don't have to be an expert in everything, okay? You it's a big deal. It's a big step for people to do just what I, what I did in the last few seconds there. Just you pause, mm-hmm. you think about the question that's being asked or what you're being shown or confronted with, and just the simple common sense point of knowledge that, you know, I bet there's probably more to this than what I know and probably what this guy knows either. And I'm going to thank him for the information and the question. I'm going to say, hey, that's a good question. I really, you know, I really don't know how to respond right now, but I'm willing to bet that if I put some time into this, I'm going to come up with not only what you showed me, but a whole lot of other things too that I need to think about before I come down at one place or another. That's just common sense.
5: Mm-hmm.
3: It's, it's just clear thinking. And a lot of times people just feel, you know, they, they don't, they don't just take a moment and stop and, you know, pause and reflect that, you know, they have the right to do that. Okay, you, you have the right as a thinking individual to think. So take some time and do that. Go ask a question. Go, go read a book. Go look something up. I mean, This is just all part of the process of, of exercising uh, the intellectual gift that, that God has given us. You,
1: you know, there are some people who do that to a limited extent, and I, and I hail them for that. But when it's really hard hardest is when you hear something you want to hear. Or you oh, yeah. hear it from somebody who you really admire for other reasons or you've, or you've liked them in the past. And, and to maintain that discipline, to have that, still that dash of contrarian nature, to, to look at even stuff coming from favored quarters and to ask those hard questions, that's the real test, I think, is if you're still able to do that even when the answer's easy and fits within your paradigm, to still ask those same
3: questions. Right, you, you. I mean, I know in my own life, I, I reached a few points where, you know, I, I, uh, I was taught by my pastor to not fear people, you know, but to fear God and not fear people. Uh, where I went wrong in some circles was I applied that to Christians. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I, I thought that that just included everything. Yeah. You know, even, even the. I had godly authority uh, structures over me, you know, but, but I had questions, and if I didn't get an answer, I'd, I didn't feel like I had to not think about it anymore. Right. Because my ultimate authority wasn't them. It was God, and I, I felt like I, you know, it, some of these things were, were, were personal issues that, you know, if I'm going to you know, go to grad school, if I'm going to be a professor, if I'm going to do X, Y, or Z, I, I need to think about this. Mm-hmm. and i am not content with the answer i'm being given because i i just i know that it's not complete there are just there are outliers here that i don't like i don't like uh things that don't fit but i didn't feel that i was uh being disloyal i i felt that i was being mm-hmm. responsible maybe not to them but to god mm-hmm. and that that's just Part of my uh, of what my thought processes were, and, and that wasn't always easy. And right. and to be honest with you, I I at times paid a price for it. Can I give but an example? I thought that I did the right thing.
1: Can I give an example of this, how the scripture itself I think applies? Look at the example of Job. Job asked a lot of very hard questions about God and His universe, and his friends had some very pat answers that he could have just accepted and moved on. If he wanted something easy and then focus on the solution, but he realized they were phony answers. They may have made him feel a little bit better. He could have moved on, accepted it, and moved on, but they really didn't address the real questions he was answering. But the thing was, he kept asking the same questions through all his suffering throughout the book of Job, and eventually when when God chose, God responded to him and while he chastised him and basically said you're asking the wrong questions to begin with, but he was still faithful to Job and honored him for not accepting false answers. And in fact, he had to have Job intervene on behalf of his friends who who were taking uh, you know short sh- short shrift, uh, f- phony answers instead of the real thing. He had to intervene on their behalf. So I think to me that's a that's a biblical testimony of what you're talking about is that if you stand true to seeking the real truth, even if it's difficult and it may be scary in the process of getting there, God will intervene. God will yeah, come in honor it sounds, your faith.
3: It sounds very strange, but if, if you really want to go down these roads of, of really getting some depth in biblical knowledge and, and really... Uh, thinking theologically and, and really trying to wrestle with things yourself—it's going to sound strange, but but you have to you, you have to have a little confidence in God.
5: Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah that, you're right. Yeah,
3: that you know the he he sees you in the process and in the struggle, and you have to believe that you're going to come out somewhere, and that he's going to. You know, be there at the end of the path to greet you, you know, so to speak. You you, you got to have a little confidence in him. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's just, again, it, it sounds kind of silly, but you know, for me personally, uh, I I came to a few of those crossroads. You know that, you know, I I I just have to have a little more confidence in, in God and give God the benefit of the doubt here. And you know, I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna reject this to, to choose that over that. I, I'm I'm going to believe. That God will give me an answer to this. He'll He'll lead me to the right person, the right thing, the right article, the right this or that. And I'm just going to have to give God a little bit of time, give Him a little, a little bit of space here, have have a little confidence in His leadership, and just leave it, you know, right there where it is, and we'll revisit this at some point. You know, God will will prompt me, or He'll awaken me that okay, you're right here. You had this question six months ago. Here's the answer. Mm-hmm. You got to believe that God will do that. You got to have a
1: little confidence in him. hmm And and basically that exercises the faith muscles you're talking about. Uh, just, just like Abraham, when Abraham was called to sacrifice his son Isaac, you know that didn't make any sense on that side where he was. It was totally counter what he thought what God would do, and what the plan was. And here he had this promise, you know, with Isaac. Um, but he had that kind of faith in God. That God was up to something that He didn't fully grasp. You know, even word that He may have thought Isaac may have been resurrected, which was a pretty advanced concept. Mm-hmm. I, I would have thought at that day, <laughs> but no but but regardless, he 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 had that kind of trust you're talking about in God that God was knew what He was doing and would yeah, get somehow, him to the other somehow side. Somehow
3: or another, God will handle this.
1: Right, right. You
3: know,
1: I, if if I can but, give an, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I, if I can give an example on on the negative side. Uh, of what has happened negatively because we've responded in fear to some of these things. And I don't know about you, but anytime I've seen any process in a Christian's life that involves a heavy dose of fear, uh, it usually doesn't go very well. Uh, you know, we, we fear the adversary and things like that as far as what, what, uh, you know, temptations and things like that, or at least respect, but really ultimately we're supposed to fear God. Uh, as, as far as that kind of respect. But in my own personal experience growing up in a small Baptist church uh, in a town where we had a, a local seminary, major Baptist seminary, and we got our our youth and music ministers from the seminary, students that would come in. And what I observed as a teenager was the same thing I saw as I got older as a person, is that many of these young people were sort of pushed into these these four-year Bible colleges Mm -hmm. They were pushed in, you know, they were given all sorts of attaboys at church, and you're really following God and you're doing what's right, and we're going to give you all sorts of accolades if you go. They would go. Their experience in a lot of these schools, at least from what I observed, was that they were spoon-fed information, and they said, just accept this, here's the information, here's the way it is, put that in your memory banks, and you're good to go. Of those, a good number of them went on to seminary, basically a graduate school. And suddenly they were faced in an environment where they were not just spoon-fed doctrine to, to tuck away, but they were challenged with ideas. They were challenged with different ways to look at things, things outside their denomination, things outside or maybe even on the margins of Christendom. And they were presented with different ways to look at it for them to discern. And from what I can tell, a lot of the the professors worked under the premise – now, some of them may have had malevolent purposes, but a lot of them were under the, the purpose that students they had now are like students of old that, w- that were, were discerning, that were, that were testing different ideas, They'd go to the library and do their own study, not yeah. swallow everything professor had. But in the generations I had growing up, that was not the case. They had already been pre-programmed to take anything from a professor and take that as gospel. And so we had a lot of you know interesting things of people coming to our church. I can remember one of them that confronted me in a youth program that that said that I just wanted people to go to hell because I believed in that there was a real hell, and that was because a professor a professor had told him that you wow. know and and a lot of that led to a backlash. From part of the denomination with these seminaries. But there was a bigger fundamental problem, is that nowhere in the past, anybody realized there was a stage in which people need to be taught how to discern yeah. On how to take information and learn the process of just distilling out uh, what makes logical sense, what is contradictory versus other things, and somehow between you know undergraduate graduate they miss that transition to me, and I think that's why we have a lot of the mess we have in the church today in America. Well, is, not is, even
2: not even just the church. You see so much, so much uh, just in secular society, people backlashing against what they were told. Uh, in school or high school, and as they grew up and became older, more discerning adult, adults, they saw those as. Uh, "Quote unquote liberal ideas or mm-hmm. conservative right. ideas, and they right. go anything that's attached to that is, that's is, is, right. is obviously not yeah. true. Sure, that's yeah. what I was
1: saying—an all-or-nothing kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, it's a lot yeah. of. For example, I think you'd agree with me. There's a lot of new developments of movements within the church, even in the 20th, 21st century, mm-hmm. that has a lot you and I would not agree with scripturally. But there's Tons. sometimes some. But there's some <laughs> nuggets of truth in a lot of them. There were for some sure. messages for the body as a whole. That needs to distill it out. And you almost have to sort of separate the baby and the bathwater, uh, you know, of, of what in heavens. I hope people do that with Future Quake because, you know, you're talking about a more muscular Christianity. And I'm thinking what you're trying to put them on is more of an athlete's diet. Of the information that they take in, and do a lot of calisthenics and other weight building, so they actually He's are like more tri- in What they do? He's like Rocky. That's what he is. guys are like the trainer from Rocky. Yeah, but you know, Future Quake <laughs> is more like Future Quake is more like the Funyuns of uh, Christian yeah, nutrition. Like you know. The park or, rind. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We're back at Future Quake with Doctor Future and Tom. What is the nature of
2: reality? bionic
1: yeah he's not going that deep no not really you're getting to be like yogi or something and i don't mean yogi bear what's in the picnic
2: basket hey boo boo (laughs) hey
1: dr uh heiser i think he's been on the record before he believes in absolute truth he believes that there's structure Mm -hmm. to knowledge there's logic we can use logic we don't have to be afraid of it Mm -hmm. um it'll lead us right well one of
2: the things that i find very enlightening is, is my, my the way that I look at the Bible and life mm-hmm. and the surroundings is the the way and the truth and the light. You know, and if mm-hmm. he really is the truth, life, yeah. sorry, what did right. I say? Light. Oh, sorry, life.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, you light worker, you. <laughs>
2: uh, if he really is the truth, we don't need to be afraid of it.
0: Exactly. Yeah. If we follow
1: the truth, we'll be right at Jesus' feet. Mm-hmm. That's where we'll end up. Uh, somebody else that we can lead you to is Merv, who can tell you how to contact us a Future quake.
4: Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast.
1: We have to go, sir. That's it. Come back. We've got one big finale uh, segment tomorrow. Until then, we hope your future's always bright. Have
0: a good day. Bye-bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. Quake. quake.
1: Welcome to the FutureQuake Show. I'm Dr. Future. And I'm Tom Highspeed Bionic. That's because we have a long segment today. We're concluding our discussion with Dr. Michael Heiser, the academic editor of Logos Bible Software and Bible Study Magazine. We're talking about new initiatives to instruct in the credible knowledge of ancient text, Bible theology, and the paranormal. He's going to uh, wrap up by telling you about his two institutes that are now available. You need to sign up for them. He'll give you the instructions here. We'll have it at FutureQuake.com. But here's Doctor Heiser and we'll wrap it up here at Future Quite.
3: And what I do, you know, for my job at Logos, we are we are very conscious of um you know, we use the expression that we gotta we gotta keep the cookies on the lower shelf. You know, we we know that there are there are different shelves and we we want to put cookies on all of them. But right. we gotta know which cookies to put on which shelf. Mm-hmm. That sort of thing. And so I, I I'm very um I'm very aware uh, of the need to do that, and at the same time, I don't want to be always making the same kind of cookie. You know, there, there are lots of people who make, you know, the, the devotional cookie, and there's lots of people who make, you know, the, you know, sort of a surface reading cookie. I, you know, I, I'm hoping that there will be people who come along, either through exposure you know, to a discussion like this or the blogs or something like that. Where people will be willing to say, you know, uh I, I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna take a, a, a personal stab at this, and I'm gonna I'm gonna trust it. Well, maybe maybe I'll go into this, and I, I won't learn everything, but I'll learn something. You know, I'll, I'll come out with it ahead of where I was. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and and that that's really how I, I would want someone to to look at it. You know, it, it's not going to be that everything that you'll read or everything that we'll talk about that you're going to be able to absorb 100% of it. Frankly, if you really think about it well, you, you don't do that with anything, okay? I mean, I, I could you go to into practicul- practically any experience or watch anything on TV, listen to something on the radio. You're only going to retain a certain percentage of it, but you will go away, you know, more informed than you were when you got there.
5: Right, right. That
3: sort of thing. And so, you know, I, I know as a professor, and I, I tell students in, in my traditional classes right? I still teach as an adjunct at the local university here. It's like, look, I'm going to ask you to read read stuff. I'm telling you now, first day. And I'll even tell you which ones they are. A lot of it's going to go right over your head. But there's a specific reason I have for having you read Mm -hmm. that. And when that reading is due for that day and we get into class, I will tell you what that reason was. There might be one paragraph in that baby that you can digest, and it's really important. So don't stress out about it. If something goes over your head, let it fly, okay, because I, I'm going to tell you what was important about that and help you process a particular point. And, again, that's just the way I, I, I chalk that up to exposure. Okay, mm-hmm. you're going to get exposed to new things. You won't get right. everything, but you'll get something. And if I'm facilitating the class or I'm leading the class, you'll get the thing I want you to get mm-hmm. out of it, and then we'll move on. But you also,
1: don't you also want to leave them with that general propensity or skill that once you're not, you know, leading them along by the leash, they have already been trained where they will do that same process naturally on their own.
3: Yeah, yeah, I, I want them to learn. And some of it is intentional by virtue of things that I will ask students to do. Other times I, I, I am conscious that students will pick up how to do this by my own modeling, I have people on on the blog, for instance there's uh, i got I got one reply one time that said, "You know, good grief, it's like no bad argument ever gets past you and And I thought about that comment and I thought, you know, I can see why he'd say that because i'm I'm constantly dissecting things, and it was a good example mm-hmm. of of just doing that often enough and having him watch me do that yeah. as he's reading through the blog. Where he just picked up on it.
5: Huh. You know,
3: he, he picked up on that when you went, okay, you, you gotta ask this question, you gotta ask that question, you gotta ask this question over here. You know, don't, don't accept this premise because, you know, and there, there's, there's sort of an osmosis process to it. You know, so, so some of it is intentional and more direct, uh, but I also hope that students just pick up on it, uh, just mm. from the exercise of doing it and watching it mm. too.
2: You know, well, my Sorry, go ahead.
1: No, I was just going to say, uh, we're on our last segment here, so I want to make sure we talk about the second school, but I was yep. going to ask him to summarize the courses that he's offering, but what were you going to say? I
2: was just going to say, you know, that would be a fascinating topic for the Naked Bible, Uh your thought processes in dissecting uh different scriptural arguments or mm. perhaps, might I say, non-scriptural mm. arguments in some cases. Mm.
0: The cookbook. Yeah,
3: that, that, would be a, that would be a challenge because I... I I think it it would be doable. Mm-hmm. Um but it the, the challenge would be that so much of it at at this point for me is is reflex. You know, I could, <laughs> it, it, mm-hmm. yeah. actually, you know, it, it'd be like, but well, let's ask Cal Ripken, you know, how to how to, how play to hit a home ball. Yeah. You know,
5: yeah.
3: I mean, you you just sort of do it, but when you're asked to break it down, you could do it, but it would be sort of an arduous process. <laughs> You know and some of it you know there's 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 a little bit of an intuition about it, but i that's worth considering
1: that might be a good legacy though for you to leave behind if uh if you meet your mythical bus out on the street one day that might be <laughs> that might be a good protocol to leave behind somebody else, you know. It's one thing to paint a whole lot of paintings. It's another thing to sort of leave some instructions on how to paint the way you do for later. Hey, um, can, can you summarize? Because I want to spend sure. the, our last few minutes on the second school. The, the, the classes. Memra, Tell us some of the classes that you're going to offer.
3: Okay. In Memra, there's, there are classes in biblical theology. And what I mean by that is I I introduced uh, people to ancient Near Eastern worldview and how that frames a lot of what goes on in the Old Testament. Uh, theologically, and so we we work through in a series of of courses uh, big theological concepts in the Old Testament like uh, free will, evil, creation, chaos, election, kingship, all that kind of stuff.
1: And then you and move it, on to it, the second week?
3: It, <laughs> 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 no, it takes more than that. There's, oh. there's actually about ten courses in Biblical Theology and they run in sequence all the way through the New Testament. But they they build on each other, and I I try to, I want students to to think like the people who produced this stuff. Okay, think like an ancient Israelite. Uh, that's really the goal to to uh, have that inform our the way we we do theology. Then there's there's some ancient history, there's ancient languages, of course, um, but really you know biblical theology is, and, and biblical languages are really the heartbeat uh, of the course offerings there. But you'll, there are classes on archaeology and you know. Jesus and the Gnostic Gospels, and, you know, sort of peripheral areas like that as
1: well. Well, it's important for our listeners to think that one day is going to be that mega earthquake up on that plate in the upper northwest that will probably wash away Dr. Heiser mm-hmm. and his neighbors up there in that area. So you better take these classes now if you're going to learn his there, way of thinking. There is
2: a face under the ocean and it's crying. If, <laughs> if, if, there's,
1: if there's some way I could tell you urgently. Now, your second school tell us about your second school it, it, it's a little bit different than the one we just talked about what is it the name of it and in the, the scope of it
3: well the, the second one is it has a long title the institute for paranormal preternatural and parapsychological studies or ippps for short and basically these are uh, an assortment of paranormal topics i you mean know, for instance there are courses in uh, ufology and UFO studies. Um, and again, w- and when I introduce these things, those courses are really like a history of UFO studies uh, in America. And then we talk about different views as to what they might be, uh, the alien abduction, you know, so-called alien abduction narrative. You know, what might people be experiencing? What are the different ways to parse this? And, again, because it's me and because it's Judd Burton, again, we're, we're operating within a, a, a very – uh, attentive Judeo Christian worldview concept. And so. Mm-hmm.
1: But still honest. But right. still honest. You're not and going these to. These are not Bible people.
3: classes, but right. we're going to, we're going to ask, uh, that students think in such a way that they can't dismiss, uh, you know, that, that worldview. It's, it's not, there, there's a, there's an inconvenience factor that you're not, you're not just allowed to dismiss this uh, mm-hmm. possibility over here. But well, we will, we will take you through the material. Uh, Judd is, is doing, you know, courses on, uh, demonology and, uh, vampire lore, giant lore, uh, history of the occult, uh, history of witchcraft. He, that's the kind of stuff he likes. I'm basically doing UFO stuff and then parapsychology, uh, things like, uh, uh, remote viewing, PSI. I mean, is, is there, is there anything to this sort of stuff? Uh, how would, how would we process and how would we parse uh, this kind of thing, you know, from a Christian worldview, if there was, if there is, and that's part of the debate, is there uh, any real uh, supporting scientific data for any of this? You know, how do how do we process uh, that material? So it, it really, it, it's not the, the second institute is not foreign to the first in terms of worldview,
5: mm-hmm.
3: but the, the course material is quite different. It, it's all sorts of paranormal kind of topics, things that you would put under that umbrella.
1: Well, um, can can you explain those particular terms? You met, mentioned, I think, paranormal people generally say, but preternatural, parapsychological, what is the scope of those definitions?
3: Sure, I'll give you, and people don't have to write these down. They're actually on the, on the front of the website because that's like the first question. Uh, paranormal just generally are, are things that are not uh, explainable in conventional science or at least conventional science as it's currently understood. Cre refers to things that sort of exist outside uh, what we think is normal nature uh, in the natural world. you know things like okay, is this one crazy example would be werewolves I mean there's all this yeah. lore about werewolves well that isn't something that you find in a in a biology class when you're studying biological taxonomy okay, you don't get the werewolf categories or species it's something that exists outside of nature. Uh, just in terms of the discussion, you know, whether they, whether this has any relationship to actual reality or not is, is a totally different, uh, issue. But it's, it's one that if you took Judd's class on that, he's gonna be talking about all the lore that goes into that and really, you know, what, what could possibly be behind all these legends and that sort of thing. Uh, parapsychology refers to, uh, is there any scientific evidence for, uh, extraordinary psychological phenomena, things like precognition, deja vu, again, remote viewing, psychic phenomena, that sort of thing. So those three terms pretty much cover the gamut uh, of anything that, you know, you would, if you're familiar with the, the, the term Freudian topics, uh, anything that, that is really outside mm-hmm. the bounds of traditional science and nature, uh, those three terms pretty much cover all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's why we we put them into
1: the name. Okay. Hey, what what would you say to Christians out there who who maybe don't hang out in the circles that we do? You know, be a future quake and the places mm-hmm. you go and other, who who come across this thing and say, what in the world do Christian people have to do talking about these terrible demonic things? You know, or foolishness when we've got to go preach the gospel and do this other kind of stuff? Why are you wasting your time with this foolishness? What is your response to those kind of folks? I,
3: because I there's say, many
1: out there that way.
3: Right. I would say twofold. I, I would agree that there is a good bit that is demonic. There is a good bit that's foolishness. There are there are some of it that doesn't really fit into those categories, and so we ought to have a coherent response uh, to the those those portions of the data pool that uh, appear to have some sort of scientific validation. How do we fit that? into God's world. I mean, how do we, how do we factor that into it, into our Judeo-Christian worldview that we're presented with in scripture? So that's one reason. The other reason is, whether you like to admit it or not, a lot of people who aren't Christians either A, really believe this stuff, or they, they really get involved with it. They, they imbibe, uh, this kind of material, uh, to the point of really it becoming sort of an obsession and almost even a, an alternative, alternative religious right. kind of experience. There are people who are really devoted uh, to these sorts of things. And so if you don't have any ability uh, to discuss them intelligently uh, or process them, then I really don't know how you would be apt uh, to minister to them.
5: Mm-hmm. So I, I
3: think, I think for those two reasons, uh, it, it's worth at least having some background knowledge of a lot of these subjects. Because, you know, if, if I want to throw in a third reason here, our culture is day after day after day after day inundated with these topics. We may not realize it. Uh, but I would I would challenge you to go into a Barnes & Noble mm-hmm. and stand at the door and say, okay, within a, a 30-foot radius, I'm going to see how many items I can find. That have something to do with these topics.
2: Answer you know, all of them.
3: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Get get the grocery cart at the front door uh, because if you were pulling them off the shelf, you'd need it. Now, somebody's buying that stuff. Somebody's producing it. It's not just books. It's TV. It's you know it, it's major motion pictures, this sort of thing. It and, and these things are both reflective of a culture, but they also steer the culture. And I see our culture as really moving into if it's not already there what I, what I would refer to as a post christian era mm-hmm. uh where we are becoming progressively more paganized like europe and, like like europe yeah mm-hmm. right. and and these these ideas will uh, become more acceptable in terms of being um, alternative belief systems to the dismissal of more traditional belief systems like Judeo-Christianity. Mm-hmm. And I, I just think we're becoming progressively more paganized. And frankly, whether there there ever was or, or, or are things such as vampires or any, any of this stuff, a lot, again, a lot of it's schlocky, a lot of it's mm-hmm. nonsense and silliness. But that concept, that, uh, that literary creation, that says something about how a person's processing or thinking about good and evil, and again, when you have more people who are just involved in that sort of thing uh, as a Christian, you ought to be able to show them that, you know, I've invested some time thinking about what you believe, and I can intelligently discuss this, right. and and I want to present to you, you know, what what I believe, and we can actually have an intelligent discussion. I'm not going to look at you and just think you're a creep. I wish you'd go away. Right. Because people will pick up on that,
5: mm-hmm.
3: and so I, I think it is worth being uh, informed uh, to to some extent on these ideas and, and their basis or non basis.
1: Mm-hmm. Right, and, and and I'd also would would tell some of those, and, and mostly it's going to come from the older ranks of you know the body of Christ that would have those questions. All they need to do is walk down the hallway of their own homes and peek into the bedrooms of their kids. And what they're doing on the Internet, either through the video games or through the chat rooms and things, are talking about these very identical things. Uh, Twilight, obviously, is a huge phenomenon. I went through Kroger the other day. I was waiting to pick up a prescription. Went over to their book aisle. Walked down the book aisle. Ev- almost every single book down the entire length of Kroger, the, the supermarket, was a book related to Vampires. For every age, not just young people, mm-hmm. they had Harlequin romances where the where the the normal you know stud guy holding the woman on the front cover was a vampire for old people to read. Alice
2: mm-hmm. Bailey's dream come true. Yeah, I mean is
1: yeah. this this is really you know or Anne Rice or whatever. Uh, this is really where we've come. So uh, I, I think we don't even have to look at the quote heathens for this. We can look in our own households and recognize that we better have a ready response.
3: See, and, and, and to me something like I, I'm not concerned that people are going to read this stuff and come away believing that vampires are real. Yeah. I'm concerned that people are going to come away thinking that, you know, supernatural beings are probably natural. They're probably, you know, related to us, just like uh, right. they, they, misunderstood.
5: They're earth,
3: yeah, yeah, they're they're misunderstood. They're earthly. Okay, again, this this is that's all paganism is. Paganism is just simply the deification of the natural world, you know, and 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 to, to sort of recast terms like supernatural and, and God and goddesses and, mm-hmm. and these things that, that the Scripture presents as being in a in an unseen world, uh, spiritual forces, and again, sort of turning our our, our our backs on on that way to parse these sorts of things, and again, essentially you know, worshiping the planet, you know, really, again, transferring any notion of, of the supernatural to, to the terrestrial, even even a terrestrial that we might not understand. To me, that's a significant idea shift.
5: Mm-hmm. Because
3: if you start to think in those terms, you really don't need an external deity. Right. You don't, you don't really have a place for that anymore in your world. It, it, it becomes irrelevant. It becomes kind of a curiosity. Mm-hmm. You know, rather than something to be seriously entertained, you know. And I, so I, I'm more I'm more concerned of how uh, reality is parsed, how good and evil is parsed, mm-hmm. you know, that sort of thing. And it, you, it just works its way out into different forms. And vampires are hot right now. You know, you, just,
1: you know I, I warn you, I warn you, Dr. Heiser. Um, as this paganism becomes more the prevailing view, you are probably one of the first people they've got planned for a wicker man. To go inside. Yeah. You you are one of the kind of guys they got to dispose of quickly on this. And in fact, I would recommend if you have a class on paganism like this and neo paganism, you ought to show the original Wicker Man because I thought it was one of the the most well expressed clash of music. Have you seen the original?
3: I I have seen the original.
1: I don't know if you agree with me on that, but I mean obviously it was it was supposed entertainment. But I, but I thought the intellectual arguments between the Christian representatives and the others w- w- was so chilling. You know, that movie's been described as the Citizen Kane of horror movies. And and probably horror movies not a proper description because people think of slashers and gore and things like that. And that's not what it was about. It, it was something much deeper than that and something that was more of a, a legitimate thing. And, and that's what I picture when I hear what you're talking about of a pro- post-Christian world is is what we're facing in that. So I I I and, and I hope Peter Jones is aware of what you're doing too in this area too because uh I I would think he would awfully lend, lend a lot of support to what you're doing in this area. Um we're coming up to the close and um you know, I don't know if you knew we'd have 90 minutes of material here, but I have over half my questions remaining. Uh, that I sent to you. So,
3: there's
1: a lot, there's a lot that our, our Futurians are not going to know about this, but I think they know enough to be enticed to want to sign up, uh, for it. But, but in closing, what is your long-term vision for these institutions? I mean, do you plan to expand course offerings beyond, and you, you've listed a ton of them already. Uh, do you have a vision to evolve into like a think tank that might come out of people when you start raising up more aware people like this and some consultancy or, My my long
3: term, my long term hope is that, you know, I often do things to force myself to do things, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. Um, My long term hope here would be to, over the course of a few years, work through, uh, the majority of these classes, at least the ones that I I deem are, are the most important, so that the content uh, and the the presentation uh, of all the material, whether it be again a podcast or you know, some sort of video cast or whatever, all of it can be canned and put on DVD. And eventually, you know, I, I hate to I hate to sound pessimistic here, but that could it be it could just be distributed and essentially be seminary in a can. That is freely available to anybody because I, I i think we in my lifetime we'll probably see the day where the church will really need to move underground
5: yeah mm-hmm. and,
3: and i I'd, I'd like to just have the stuff canned and you know wherever it goes it goes Hmm.
5: Mm-hmm. but i
3: but i i just i need something because it's just me i mean i don't have any right. i don't have a secretary i don't have a staff you know i don't i don't have funding or anything like that um so I tend to move at a snail's pace, and it, it, it's very easy for me to say, I don't have time to do that because I'm doing these three or four other things over here, and there, there are just some things I need to publicly say I'm going to do to force myself to do it.
0: Sure,
1: sure.
3: And that's that gets filed under, this gets filed under that.
1: It's like, like your routine, return visit to FutureQuake in the near future. <laughs> right. But, you know, we're down to about a, one or two minutes. So um, in wrapping up, can you give us a little 30-second teaser of some developments aside of you're keeping an eye on in, in in the same vein we're talking about, some development that you're really keeping an eye on that we should keep an eye on, uh, and then close with uh, how our listeners, our futurians, can sign up for these classes and support your work? Boy,
3: I, I wish you could be a little more specific there. Um
0: you, you mentioned that. I'll, yeah.
3: I'll tell you what, what has really emerged. I'm doing a lot of research now in, in preparing to write the, the facade sequel. You know, I have a lot of it outlined, but I'm I've really sort of jumped into a number of topics. It's really been alarming to me to see how um, eugenics themes and right. the, the overpopulation myth just seems to to just pop up everywhere. Um, So I'll I'll leave you with that thought. I mean, just just this we will be as gods and determine our own destiny, and your destiny too, Mm -hmm. uh, is is something that really strikes me as as dangerous.
1: Yeah, that that theme was the one somebody asked me, is there any development that you think is the surest sign of the Lord's soon return? And I'd say if there is one, that is it. That we we are starting to play God and do the kind of things that were done at the Tower uh, which motivated God to come down and put a stop to things. And I don't know how far that can go, but that's my two cents. How, how can we, uh, how can we get into your class? Get involved and begin the learning process.
3: Well, go, go again. Your listeners need to go to BibleClassroom.com or AncientClassroom.com or ParanormalClassroom.com. My home page is DRMSH.com and there are links to all of these things
1: there. Okay, if you need to sell plasma, collect aluminum cans, whatever you need to do, to get your fee, it's well worth the effort, you know, hawk Mm -hmm. the family jewels, whatever it is, wedding ring, hawk it, it's certainly worth it, Mm -hmm. but please support Dr. Heiser, this is a societal impact, this process. We all need to support him. You might even run into Tom Bionic or Dr. Future in a classroom Maybe. sometime, but it will be good anyway. Especially
2: if they're taking Greek and Hebrew.
1: He'll be able to control us anyway. So, yeah. Dr. Heiser, thank you for making time out of your busy schedule for us. I hope we can, we can deliver a whole bunch of students that sign up, uh, in spite of our uh, presentation here, that they'll hear what you're offering. <laughs> yeah, we haven't
2: driven anybody away. And I'm I, saying.
1: I seriously hope that, that they'll sign up and that they're going to be much more aware, much more, Useful people to the kingdom after they've taken your course. So, thank you so much for joining us today.
3: Well, thanks for having me, both you guys.
1: We're back at Future Quake with Doctor Future. Faster than a speeding bullet, I am. Any last words about Doctor Heiser?
2: He's really smart, really good, really committed to the Lord.
1: Wish he'd be He's here cool. every week. Yeah. I wish a larger part of the body of Christ could be under his instruction. -hmm. We'd be a lot sharper Christians. Mm -hmm. But you out there can do something. You can go sign up right now. Try one of them. I think you'll be captivated. If you haven't read his work, people who already know about it already want to get involved. Mm -hmm. But try
0: it. See what you think. Speaking of getting involved, Merv. Merv
1: can tell you how to contact us at Future
4: Quake. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. during the radio broadcast.
1: We have to go. what's us out. Tomorrow is tomorrow's tremors. We'll cover the news. Until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day.
0: Bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake.
1: Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I'm Dr. Future.
2: And I'm Tom no fan of the Masonic people uh redoing the Centennial Park. What are you doing?
1: Move closer. Every time you're away from the mic. Well it's because
2: it's I 'cause I 'cause I like snort or when move I move the mic I, closer when I you know okay. like, breathing heavy. So you're a
1: snorter bionic. Yeah. Okay. Sort of, I just don't wanna I don't want to be like <laughs> I, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, I'm sorry. <laughs> this is I know this is a Christian radio show on a very um Prestigious radio station, and we have to apologize to them and our listeners. But uh, yeah. I was just trying to Co-hosts get you closer, out so mind. people can hear you. Oh, and I, I, I try know, to do a good it. Thing. I try to do it very um, discreetly. Mm-hmm. Sorry, and then you're like, "What? What do you mean? What are you doing?" <laughs> Sorry about that, ladies and gentlemen. It's good to be back with you in the Future Quick Show. Hope you enjoyed this week's guest. Mm-hmm. Today's Friday. Yeah. So, what does that mean?
2: It is time
1: to look at.
2: What the New World Order is doing to mess us up.
1: Yeah. And sometimes even good people who don't know what they're doing. Yeah, well-intentioned, well,
2: well intentioned, but, yeah. you know, Yeah, you go. so all the above. Uh, otherwise known as Tomorrow's Tremors or Today's Review of the Futures News.
1: Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> hallelujah, well, well, hallelujah, well, we hallelujah. We both
2: got a lot of stories to go Tambay through.
1: Tom so. got it right. Okay. <laughs> hey, one thing I heard funny today. What's I happen? want to give a call out to one of our listeners, the Buckethead Baptist... Uh, who listens to us, and, uh, he's here in Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And I was listening to his blog today, and, uh, on, uh, on the show, he, they were talking about how, uh, I guess the Westboro Baptist Church, you know, the people who protest. Oh, they're not. Soldiers get killed. Yeah, like, Kansas City. They were at Comic Con. Nothing uh, would surprise me. And that, uh, I guess the people had sort of headed them off at the past by, uh, sort of having signs like theirs, like, God hates Jedi knights and stuff like that. <laughs> totally took away their thunder. Oh my so you gosh. have to give one to the Comic-Con people for yeah. whatever else they got issues with. genius. They yeah. found through humor they could disarm, you know. Well, that's how nutty you get stuff. people
2: who are like entirely too serious. I've yeah. seen that again and again. Yeah. I remember. I, remember. I was on
1: the treadmill here and then I just started laughing when I heard it. Mm. Yeah.
2: I had a friend of mine who was on this board of directors. She's just a housewife, and there was a very powerful lawyer on there, Mm -hmm. and they disagreed on some process, you know, functionality, and the lawyer, being very serious, ended up losing the battle because the housewife made fun of him the whole time, and and it just, like, completely disarmed him, didn't know what to do. How come you can't take me seriously? Yeah. Was was the central message and
1: yeah, I don't know if that's in like the epistles or not. I can't no, that. no, no, I'm no. I wouldn't recommend that recommend it just that seemed I to just, work. But uh the,
2: just the whole point of that, yeah. you know, disarming
1: Westboro Baptist. Do you want to do a story or? I would like to. And yeah, that's not intended to all Baptists. I come from Baptist heritage, proud of it, but yeah. and I got know, pe- I got baptized in a Baptist really? church. Really? Yeah. Well you know, Peter did tell the crowd in the book of Acts, repent and be Baptist, every one of you. I got some never mind we could we
2: could make jokes all day, okay, um so this story comes from the natural news, I guess you're going first, yeah, I just think this is really important, okay, sorry, uh, junk food addicted rats choose to starve themselves rather than eat healthy food. You're right, maybe you should go first. is this know. for the rats in our audience, yes, okay. Uh, a diet including unlimited amounts of junk food can cause rats to become so addicted to the unhealthy diet that they will starve themselves rather than go back to eating healthy food, researchers have discovered. In a series of studies conducted over the course of three years and published in the journal uh, Nature Neuroscience, Scripps, Florida, scientists Paul Johnson and Paul Kenny have shown that rats' response to unlimited junk food closely parallels well-known patterns of drug addiction, even down to the changes in brain chemistry. What we have are these core features of addiction, and these animals are hitting each one of these features, Kenny said. Uh, moving on later on down the article. Uh, having established that junk food rats had become addicted, uh, Johnson and Kenny wanted to know how far this addiction would push them. So they took both junk food addicted rats and rats that had not been previously exposed to such food and exposed them to electrical shocks whenever they ate junk. Rats that had just been introduced to the junk food quickly stopped eating it, while the addicted rats ignored the discomfort and kept eating. That's, that's a pretty serious, Mm -hmm. pretty serious charge there. Perhaps the most shocking finding came when the researchers took away the addicted rats' access to junk food and started feeding them only healthy rat chow again. The same diets the rats had eaten as pups. When junk food was no longer available, the rats simply refused to eat for two weeks. They actually voluntarily starved themselves. Kenny said, "It's almost as if you break these as if you break these things that, that being, uh, you know, the addiction and mm-hmm. uh, you know the the need for healthy food. It's very very hard to go back to the way things were before. Their dietary preferences are dramatically shifted."
1: That's a pretty wow. heavy story. You know what? I bet you when that confirmation came out, probably in like the um, pharmaceutical industry and in the food processing industry, they were like popping corks of champagne and having big parties and uh, things I'll like be, that. I'll bet, yeah. Job well done. <laughs> Mission accomplished. I, I'm sure. We can, you know, pump whatever stuff down their gullet and mm-hmm. they're addicted like crack addicts. Totally, totally. Uh, You know. It, it says something when... Somebody else who gets really excited about that is Satan. Sure. Satan loves it because he hates us. hmm And he wants anything that we can suffer in terrible agony. This well, is, this
2: as, as you've been uncovering in some of your research about, uh, you know, drugs and the nature of the spirit mm-hmm. world and all of that stuff,
1: uh, what you ingest uh, is sometimes yes, right. direly important. And food is an overlooked drug. Mm-hmm. I mean, food, and, and like I was saying in that presentation I gave it, mm-hmm. the first thing that was given that had a spiritual impact to people was an apple. It was food. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, pe- you, you look at, like, hard recreational drugs, but pharmaceuticals, you know, stuff, whether it's doctor-prescribed, over-the-counter, or even food and our water we drink. Mm. Yeah.
2: Uh, people really need to look
1: Look out and see what's going on with uh, the stuff that they eat, stuff they Mm -hmm. ingest. You know what? What you just said there, that is important because that that addiction still applies to that command in the Bible about being sober-minded. You know, for the days are short. Mm -hmm. That means we have decisions to make in that side of our life, too, if we're going to accept the call if we think we're in, you know, maybe the last days. Yeah, I know. That's...
2: One of the things that we've talked about uh, at length in previous shows is getting out of Babylon. Mm-hmm. And if you
1: really start to think Babylon of the implications. That might be in a snack bag.
2: Yeah, yeah. That that might be the uh,
1: the French fries. Mm. Stop and think about that. So that bag is like the hold of every foul and unclean spirit. <laughs> <laughs> well, it does, it does say something. Sometimes my digestional can... system thinks that later, <laughs> that I've digested them. Well, I
2: think it really says something when you can take French fries from certain... Uh, Fast food joints and lay them out on the driveway, and they'll sit there for years. Mm -hmm. It's so bad bacteria won't even touch them. Yeah, you know. Ostensibly they came from like potatoes, but they're so full of stuff that right. You know, I know
1: some people you know Mm -hmm. that have a I hate to say this but a Happy Meal Mm -hmm. that they've had for I can't remember how many years, but long, long number of time years, Mm -hmm. and it looks exactly the same as when it was bought. So. I believe it. I tasted it. tasted the same, too. <laughs> no, I didn't. It. Would you like a story from me? Please. Uh, this one is the one to cleanse the palate. Okay. You know, I've been doing all this controversial stuff that makes people upset and honked off, even our friends with touchy subjects. I'm going to go back to a classic, future quick classic topic, okay? Just to sort of reminisce about yesteryear. Okay. 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 This is from uh, that incredible conspiratorial site, foxnews.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, Churchill ordered UFO cover-up, documents suggest. <coughs> uh, I'm glad you're taking this seriously. Uh,
2: well, it's just so funny, you you sort of spilled it as like a pe- palate cleanser, and it's like... Yeah, yeah. It's palate cleanser of like varnish.
1: <laughs> Excuse me. I don't know how metaphorically what varnish is supposed to mean, but...
2: It's not a palate cleanser.
1: Okay. Well, looking like a scene from Independence Day... Uh the glowing halo in the sky was uh, seen in the sky Moscow, Russia in early october two thousand nine. Uh I think that was written I think they meant to say that in a different date here. It says in order to prevent a mass panic, uh Winston Churchill kept a top se- uh, kept top secret a close encounter between a World War II pilot and an unexplained flying object, newly unclassified documents reveal. And as an aside, let me just say ignore my Comment about the Russia thing in two thousand and i may have you? I may have accidentally copied that off of a, a sidebar, so
2: great, so we've got like three strike that from right. the record,
1: okay, excuse me, i'm not a pro at this. You get what you pay for here so <laughs> so basically, the story is Winston Churchill made a very important uFO encounter top secret, and at the mm-hmm. end they'll tell you why mm-hmm. the British Prime Minister said the unexplained incident should be kept secret for fifty years. Fearing it would provoke a mass panic. The Hmm. claim was discovered in files newly unclassified by the British Ministry of Defense. It came from a scientist who said his grandfather was one of Churchill's bodyguards. Hmm. According to the documents, details of the cover-up emerged when the man wrote to the government in 1999, seeking to find out more about the incident. He described how his grandfather, who served at the Royal Air Force in the war, was present when Churchill and Dwight Eisenhower discussed how to deal with the UFO encounter. The man, who is not named in the files, said Churchill was reported to have exclaimed, This event should be immediately classified since it would create mass panic amongst the general population and destroy one's belief in the church. Hmm. The incident allegedly involved an RAF reconnaissance plane returning from a mission in France or Germany toward the end of the war. It was over and near the English coastline when it was allegedly suddenly intercepted by a strange metallic object that matched the aircraft's course and speed for a time before accelerating away and disappearing. The mysterious files also reveal a lengthy history of reported close encounters over the years. In one incident, a gambler approached the Defense Department for help after a local gambling parlor refused to pay out on his 100-to-1 bet that aliens would land on Earth before the end of the 20th century. An alien spaceship 20 times the size of a football field is among the string of bizarre UFO sightings. The huge craft was reported to the military after it was seen hovering above Manchester Airport in January 1995. In another report... That's a big airplane. Yeah. In another report, a black U-shaped object was seen from Edinburgh traveling toward the Scottish River without disturbing the water on October 9, 1995. During the Cold War, RAF jets were scrambled 200 times a year to investigate UFOs picked up on radar. This fell to zero after the collapse of the Soviet Union in 1991. Nick Pope, former Ministry of Defense expert who worked on official UFO files, told a London paper The Sun, whatever you believe about UFOs, there's some fascinating material in these real-life X-Files. Most of these sightings turned out to be misidentifications of things like aircraft lights or meteors, but a small proportion could not be explained. Um I read that because the thing about uh I thought Churchill was interesting, particularly was talking about how it would affect belief in the church and hmm. in- indeed which you would not naturally automatically assume that would do that unless they know more about these kind of things, but if it all came out like some of the messages if there were beings that were met or something like that mm-hmm. you know
2: it 's an interesting it 's an interesting conjecture certainly uh, you know if if uh uh, the gentleman Ray Boucher we had on recently mm-hmm. is, if if his story is even remotely to believe, and I believe that it is, then they know a whole heck of a lot more mm-hmm. than just. Uh, and not
1: just this thing, but I mean, like spirit all contact, all sorts of stuff, spirit yeah. dimensions and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So so. That was an
2: interesting story.
1: Yeah, something a little different. No,
2: uh, yeah, it was good. I enjoyed
1: it. I've got the uh, you know, the, the the more devious stuff after this. So.
2: Ooh, well, um. Remember the one about the couple with the hit list quote unquote in Alaska? Drug-addled husband uh, who was this guy who had assembled this hit list? He was a Muslim uh-huh. in King Salmon, Alaska.
1: I don't remember that actually.
2: Oh, yeah. Uh a drug-addled husband had some help from an undercover cop. Um and I'll 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 give away the punchline here. Uh the the guy that this undercover cop quote unquote helped. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Um, was on mood altering medication for depression and a couple other health okay. problems, uh, but i 'll just read the article: A rural Alaska couple accused of domestic terrorism compiled a list a hit list of twenty targets, including members of the military and media and had and had moved to the operational phase of their plan, according to documents filed in federal court monday and so that 's kind of the thing It came out recently that they caught these homegrown terrorists in Kingsdam and Alaska. Uh, Paul and Nadia Rockwood of King Salmon had pleaded guilty to lying about the list and making false statements to the FBI in May. Under a plea agreement, Paul Rockwood will serve eight years in prison and three years probation, while his pregnant wife will serve probation. Sentencing is scheduled August 23rd in U.S. District Court in Anchorage. Rockwood's public defender claims her client was lonely in King Salmon and befriended an undercover Alaska state trooper while attending mosque during trips to Anchorage. Um, the relationship clearly was fed by the trooper's interest in Mr. Rockwood and the drama created by their conversations. His attorney Sue Allen Tatter uh, wrote in her sentencing memo all of mr rockwood's behavior with the state trooper was uh, was talk or uh, was talk or paperwork. None of mr. rockwood's close associates, including his father, his wife, and friends in Kingston, believed he was capable of planned violence. Tatter wrote. Prosecutors alleged that Paul Rockwood, also known as Bilal, uh, converted to Islam what, about a,
1: what was his name? Bilal. Spell it.
2: B I L A L.
1: A okay. L Yeah. Not Bilal like the demon
2: No. Okay. We're w- at least one letter off okay. of a transliteration. Uh converted to to Islam about a decade a decade ago and began studying the teachings of American born cleric Anwar al Al who has professed hatred for the United States and supports acts of terrorism. The couple then moved to Keem Salmon, who he, where he worked for the National Weather Service. While in Alaska, Rockwood researched and discussed methods of execution, often at great, great length and in significant detail. Components for mail bombs were purchased. The targets had been selected, and a loose timeline was established. Assistant U.S. Attorney Steve uh, Scrocky and Ryan Schroeder wrote in their sentencing memo. Prosecutors said He gave the list of targets to his wife in April, and she carried it with her on a trip to Anchorage where the FBI obtained it. The court documents didn't disclose any names, only a summary of those on the list. It included a publishing company executive, a media personality, seven members of the military, seven other individuals, two religious organizations, and two publishing companies. Federal authorities also claimed Paul would began researching ways to kill them. Uh with some, this included discussing the use of mail bombs and the possibility of killing targets by gunshot to the head um and the government goes on and says this is not a case of if uh but a case of when um, uh tatter who's his who's Rockwood's mm-hmm. attorney counters that uh counters that Rock's, rockwood was lonely, suffering from an inner ear disease that causes dizziness, nausea, and hearing loss, and that he was addicted to opiate painkillers and was in treatment. Uh, during his relationship with the trooper. So uh, what we have is this guy who's, you know, taken drugs Mm and has some crazy illness, and uh, uh, we've got this undercover trooper. It appears to be kind of feeding him on, as we'll hear in a second, leading Mm -hmm. him on. Uh, She said he quit his job, and the family was moving from King Salmon to Boston on the first leg of a journey to England uh, when he was intercepted uh, May 19th. Of uh, this year Uh, Tatter continues his turning when federal troops when federal agents showed him the list which they obviously obtained from the undercover trooper Mr. Rockwood stated I'm surprised he uh, that's the trooper sergeant compiled this Uh, so Mr. Rockwood did not admit that he himself compiled the list Tatter wrote so there's even some ambiguity that Mm -hmm. he actually had you know written a list Mm. She characterized Rockwood as an uns- unsophisticated mechanically and said he has never been committed to a plan of action. She said he was a soft hearted and extremely committed to his family. And uh, that's really sort of it. Mm. So we so we, you we, make it. Uh, well, it seems to sort of fit the general outline of what we've seen so far. Um, you know, here's a guy at first. It's like we got this guy. Oh, my gosh. And uh, as mm-hmm. we find there's we go along, there's extenuating circumstances mm-hmm. yet again. You know that was that way with the with. But the, it
1: helps keep support for the witch hunt. Yep,
2: yeah, that that helps with the with the Christmas Day bomber. You know, mm-hmm. right. Uh, even the even the Undersecretary of uh, Department of Homeland Security has practically admitted that you know uh, they had a hand in checking him on that airplane. Right, right. Um, you know, and the the Florida thing. Very few people
1: seem to care. Yeah, I know
2: it's terrible. It's terrible.
1: Um, the church. When does the church say? How much is our government involved in this? You know, Osama bin Laden was on FBI payroll, Mm -hmm. you know, or CIA, Mm -hmm. right up to September 11th. Sure. His family's flown out by our government, by the Bushes directly Mm -hmm. on that day. Mm -hmm. Flown out of the country. Uh, All these guys seem to have connection with CIA guys that were part of the Mumbai attacks, if I remember correctly.
2: Yes, that is correct.
1: When do we start asking questions how much our government's involved and how come no one... You know, the, the secular media, they're a lost cause, but the Christian media, mm-hmm. where do they have any discernment on this?
2: Well, it it appears from some of the stuff we've covered on, dominionism and mm-hmm. some other guests we've had recently, it appears that, at least to me, I could be wrong on these facts, but it appears to me that uh, the the Christian media... Feels in some way, shape, or form that they are either losing ground or they've lost their political clout mm-hmm. to name and anoint candidates. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. as, as sort of an end run, they're trying to be the guys who are the front runner of the bandwagon instead of sticking with truth and
1: regardless of what or the, what the truth says. Yes, well, can I, I could be wrong on that, but can I get one to real quick? We're getting here toward the little end. Little clear. So this, this is a little different story. Another mm-hmm. one's a little different. Uh, giant mecha clock seeks to call time on Greenwich. This is from the Telegraph, a UK newspaper. I don't Mm -hmm. know if you'd heard this story. Mm -mm. Uh, For more than a century, a point on the top of a hill in southeast London has been recognized as the center of world time and the official starting point of each new day. Big Ben and the Mecca Clock Tower are now in competition to be recognized as the center of time. The Mecca Clock Royal Tower Hotel overlooks the Grand Mosque in the Holy Muslim City of Mecca. But now the supremacy of Greenwich Mean Time is being challenged by a gargantuan new clock being built in Mecca by which the world's 1.5 billion Muslims could soon be setting their watches. Due to start ticking on Thursday as the faithful begin fasting during the month of Ramadan, the timepiece sets atop the Royal Mecca Clock Tower which dominates Islam's holiest city. Ramadan 2010 begins, uh, and it is a heart, oh excuse me, um, It is the heart of a vast complex funded by the Saudi government that will also house hotels, shopping malls, and conference halls. Bearing a striking resemblance to both St. Stephen's Tower, which houses the Bell of Big Ben, and the Empire State Building, the Saudi upstart claims to outdo its uh, revered British rival in every way. The clock's four faces are 151 feet in diameter Mm. and will be illuminated by 2 million LED lights along with huge Arabic script reading in the name of Allah. The clock will run on Arabia standard time, which is three hours ahead of GMT. When a glittering spire is added, topped with a crescent to symbolize Islam, the edifice will stand at nearly 2,000 feet, making it the world's second tallest building. The clock of Big Ben, by comparison, is just 23 feet in diameter, while its tower stands a mere 316 feet. So, majorly dwarfing it. Uh, Residents of Mecca will also be reminded that it is time to pray when 21,000 green and white lights, visible at a distance of 18 miles, flash five times a day. But Islamic scholars hope the clock's influence will stretch far further than the sands of Saudi Arabia. It's part of a plan for Mecca to eclipse the Greenwich Observatory as the true center of the earth. For the... Past 125 years, the international community has accepted that the start of each day should be measured from the prime meridian, representing zero degrees longitude, which passes through the Greenwich Observatory. A standard time by which other clocks were set was needed to organize global travel and communications. But in the Islamic world, the idea uh, that it should be centered on a part of London is seen as a colonial anachronism. Uh, As Muhammad Al-Arkibi, manager of one of the hotels in the complex, put it, putting mecca time in the face uh in the face of greenwich mean time this is the goal according to yusuf al-qaradawi an egyptian cleric known around the muslim world for his popular television show sharia and life uh, mecca has a greater claim to being the prime meridian because it is quote in a perfect alignment with the magnetic north this claim that the holy city is a zero magnetism zone as one support from some Arab scientists like Abdel Bassel al-Sayed of the Egyptian National Research Center, who says that there is no magnetic force in Mecca. That's why if someone travels to Mecca or lives there, he lives longer, is healthier, and less affected by the Earth's gravity, he said. You get charged with energy. Uh, Western scientists have challenged such assertions, noting that the magnetic north pole is in fact an actual fact on the line of longitude that passes through Canada, the United States, Mexico, and Antarctica. So, that how's that for a different kind of story?
2: Sounds kind of like a not I don't I don't care very much.
5: <laughs>
2: it's just well, thank you very much.
1: Thanks for the compliment about my story. No, no, you don't no, no, no. care not, very much.
2: It's not you. It's just like what does it matter that that you you measure world time by
1: Evidently to them it does. Now, i as far I,
2: as I'm concerned, you could measure it by by London, you could measure it by a point in the middle of the water,
1: you know, well, let's all measure by the moon. Don't, I, I didn't come up with it. I didn't come up with the plans for the tower.
2: You mean it doesn't say Dr. Future? It does not lights? say that,
1: no. But what I was going to say is, you know very well that while I feel like um, there are going to be some hard times for the hardliner Islamic people in the Bible, I believe they're going to be the, the main part of Gog Magog... Uh, I don't believe that they're the be-all and end-all of all evil. I mean, I think Satan is up to other things outside of I me. Mean, right now, I hear so many Christian people saying that the Antichrist must be Muslim, and that's the major threat to Christianity is Islam. And yeah. You know, I don't buy into that. But I have to say, when I saw that story, it made me think about the passage in the last days when it says the Antichrist seeks to change the times and the seasons. Mm. And that's what came to mind, is that people see a very symbolic point to that. About changing the times and the seasons. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as you know, in France, when they had the French Revolution. Yeah, the Jacobins they threw out, tried very hard. They threw mm-hmm. out anything Christian, any kind of religion. They killed leaders in the Christian church. Mm-hmm. And what they did is they tried to completely redo culture by coming with a new clock, a new time. They reset the days. They went on like about a decimal-based time clock. Something like that. Then yeah. they created this goddess called Liberty. And so it can happen very easily under our noses without things happening. So, Mm. But it's weird to think, too, that now, you know, by far the largest buildings in the world are are Islamic buildings Mm. in Islamic countries. I think they see this as a way to raise their prestige in world culture because they have eclipsed the economies of the West are in decline. Mm -hmm. And these buildings sort of almost reflect that. But, you know, in God's economy, things can change on a dime. Mm-hmm. And somebody else we need to uh, tell you is Merv, who can tell you how to contact us at FutureQuake.
4: Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at Future at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or Internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast.
1: Boy, the time goes back quick, better. Yeah, no kidding. I'm so sorry, but there's, uh, you had probably other stories, and I did too. Yeah, I know. We, we're going to have to, ladies and gentlemen, we'd like to do an all news story, uh, week sometime we if you don't do, know. We should
2: do, we should do a show just about, uh, the aligning of all the stuff downtown. Downtown In Nashville, Nashville? Yeah.
1: Yeah. That might even be interest our non Nashvillians. Yeah. When they see some of the stuff that, uh, you've uncovered. Yeah. So, but I guess we have to wait till next week. hmm. Come back next week. We've got another great guest next week. And until then, we hope your
0: future's always bright. Have a good day. Bye bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake.